This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hey, what the heck? Let's start 2020 on the road. <laughs> Why not? So here we are after 90-plus shows on the road in 2019. We're going to bring in the new year with a bang and do it again on the road. And we'll be on the road a bunch next week and then at the Senior Bowl and then the Super Bowl and then Daytona and then the Combine and then the Players and then uh, what else is on my list? Oh, the Masters in a draft. Yeah, I'm getting good at this now. Um, I know it's all on the list. Maybe even the owners' meetings on top of that. Hey, everybody, we're at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Uh, new location just opened Friday afternoon. How about that? And uh, the new location here on uh, West Adams Street right downtown. New neighbor downtown uh, in a good spot and awesome menu. I've been telling you about Jumpin' Jack's House of Food for a while now. They're a big part of our Dream 18 the last couple of years. So if you've been out there, you've probably tried their sliders and burgers. Uh, my little dude, Ty, he loves the burgers here. I do too. But he raves about them. So, uh uh, he should be out here, too. He probably wants me to bring some home. But Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, uh, one of our big sponsors for next week's one-year anniversary party. And uh, we decided, you know what? Let's celebrate their latest endeavor, and that's the newest location. Uh, they have one at the beach as well, and then at San Jose and Mandarin. But uh, right here, downtown now, West Adams Street. So come on down, check it out. Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. We've even got some tickets uh, to that big party on hand. We're going to be on location next week, and we're actually going to invite you to come to those location spots, and you can get a ticket if you don't win on uh, ESPN690.com, which you can register. So here I am at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. (laughs) Meanwhile, Austin Lane is back in the studio because what we have here is a failure to communicate. Absolutely. Hey, here's the deal. Welcome back. To 2020, what we have now is phones, and you can't go like 12 hours without a phone. And I you guess did. not. Well, like, it, you, it, you got a replacement car, but you didn't get a replacement phone. <laughs> correct. Yes, that is correct. Um, yeah, I ended up uh, upgrading my phone. I got the new iPhone 11 Pro Max, so I guess that's pretty legit. I'm not really sure all the capabilities yet. I know it's got like I'm the- jealous. Okay, I mean, you come check it out. It's kind of the same thing, except there's no home screen button. But anyway, so I was training this morning, 9.45. I got a text message that says, hey, should we break down, um, the exact wordage was, should we give Gardner some cross-country RV tips today? And I'm like, well, of course, because I've actually done that with a bachelor party. So who better to give some advice than a person who's been there before? So I was all about that, and we kind of keep on texting back and forth more it was just Kuz and I going back and forth about his habits uh his uh, that's all I'm going to say about his habits and that's all it was and then you text the group at I think it was three I'm sorry 255 and said I don't see you yet and usually when you text I don't see you yet that means we're on the road and then I called you and I guess we're at Jumpin' Jack's uh house of food today and i never got that text message so then yeah uh, and yeah go ahead in fairness to austin uh we weren't sure yesterday because we have a little bit of an issue with the video stream so we didn't know if we wanted to come on out uh if we were going to have to wrestle with some things really coos wrestling but coos says he can figure it out and he's he's the wrestler now he can wrestle a gator <laughs> so uh but because we didn't know about your phone like last night this morning we were kind of wondering like all right how the heck are we getting in touch with austin sure. like, we don't have a secondary number at all yeah. So we know he doesn't even check his phone normally at times. I don't. Even when he has it. So we had no idea. But so when I texted this morning uh, and the address and everything, Kuz even said, I don't know if Austin has a phone yet. 
Yeah. Well, so he kind of predicted this could happen. Well, and that was the funny thing. So actually, I got the phone last night after MMA. So like, I, I downloaded all my stuff, my contacts, my text message information. Yeah. So my phone was live last night. But for whatever reason, this morning when I was training and I showed Kuz this, like your messages to each other didn't come through. But then I got the message that you said that we're talking about the whole RV expedition today. So for whatever yeah. reason, the messages before that which I think occurred like around 9 o'clock or 9.15 a.m., I never got for whatever reason. Yeah, that's okay. No yeah. problem. You're I'm back sorry, there man. in the cozy studios. Hey, it's all right. I mean, more food for me down here at well, Jumping Jack's House of Food. It's <laughs> not like we haven't done this before. Yeah, Split but, locations. But the, the, that's why I said, well, should I come there? Are you sure you don't want me to come there? Because I've had the food before. It's delicious. And even though I have training tonight, I wouldn't mind cheating a little bit, having an affair, <laughs> if you will, and uh, having one of those bacon cheeseburgers. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring you one back. I oh, appreciate uh, it, dude. Uh, we, we might have to do that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, hey, uh, welcome into a Tuesday, everybody. That's kind of where we're at. We're at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, which is a cool new location. I didn't even know this this existed right here. And uh, it looks beautiful. They've done a great job. I feel like I'm at my house here in this room. <laughs> I mean, this is like like a living room yeah. they have in the center of the restaurant. You know, some like some of the, like the steakhouses and stuff will have that room that's in the middle. Sometimes it's a glass room or something. Well, this is that. It's not a glass room, but it's a long table, so you can have like a big lunch party in here. I like Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. And deep in the background, I'm not sure you can make it out or not, but it's like an old picture of West Adams Street, which is kind of cool uh, to look at, too. But anyway, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food just open on Friday. Uh, check it out uh, for lunch Monday through Friday right here in the downtown location. If you're by the beach or in uh, San Jose as well, San Jose Boulevard, you can check out Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. and uh, Great menu. Burgers, unbelievable. More about those guys uh, a little bit later on. But we've got a lot of football stuff going on, as usual. There's a lot of things we didn't even get to yesterday, man. And one of the things we didn't get to, uh, we call it leftover day, perhaps, okay. is like the whole coaching stuff. I mean, we didn't really talk Jason Garrett and the Cowboys and how long that took and how who they found. And now that they have Mike McCarthy, a guy that you know well, following the Packers mm-hmm. all these years uh, and being from Wisconsin. So there's that. And then Matt Rule in a surprising move, at least in my opinion. I did not see this ending up with Matt Rule in Carolina. That's a little shocking to me. And then Joe Judge to the Giants? interesting couple of moves that the Giants make. The the Cowboys made a no-brainer move in my mind. I thought McCarthy was the best candidate, and that's even better than Ron Rivera, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I would have been more excited about McCarthy than any other candidate. I think after that, Matt Rule probably would have been on my list, but it's a very unproven in the NFL thing, and that's always risky business going from college to the NFL. Hasn't worked a lot of different times, so we'll see if it's effective for Carolina. But I thought these were somewhat surprising moves. I thought Matt Rule might end up in New York. I had no clue who Carolina would get. And now Cleveland exists as the only available job out there, the Browns, of course. Yeah, you know, we're kind of breaking down these coaches a little bit, Brent. I mean, and and I actually agree with you here, where we thought New York and Dallas were probably the two prime destinations, right? I mean, it's the New York Giants. It's New York City. It's it's the media. It's the spotlight. You know, I mean, it's, it's football. So... From Matt Rule turning that, well, I don't know if he turned it down or not, but he even had ties there before, right? Like he, he knew some of the guys on that staff. And for Matt Rule, he's actually on Coughlin's staff back in oh, 2012. Yeah. Exactly. So from from the ties right there, and for Matt Rule to kind of look at the situation in New York and say, you know what, I'm all good, and go to Carolina where you don't really have a QB at the moment. You know, is Cam Newton really going to be the guy going forward? Are you done with him, Kyle Allen? I don't think so. So for, for Matt Rule to be this college guy, to come out for his first head coaching gig in the NFL, and to pick the Carolina Panthers, I was absolutely shocked. I thought for sure he was pegged for New York. 
Yeah, I almost think this is this is a great coup, if you will, for Carolina. I, again, they they fired Rivera first. They got a head start on everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a real chance that Rule would go back to Baylor. I really did, uh, given what he had kind of said and hinted at. But seven years, I think it's uh, $60 million. Tough to turn down. And I believe the fact that Gettleman was in New York kind of pigeonholes you with the GM, even if you want it or don't want it, uh, which I think is a dangerous move to make. We've seen it around here in Jacksonville. It's one of the big reasons I said the only worst move that maybe the Jags could have made is to keep one or the other, Caldwell or Marone. I don't like that scenario for other people coming in. But now Rule ends up in Carolina where I think he'll be able to build everything from scratch. It sounds like they're going to give him time when you have a seven-year contract. But I don't doubt, man, this is an upset of the day. This is the upset of the coaching season, really, the coaching carousel that Carolina ends up with rule. I thought they would be maybe the third team that could get rule behind the Giants and maybe the Cowboys if they didn't go with McCarthy, and maybe the fourth because I thought Baylor would then be next or one of the top three choices before he would pick a Carolina or a Cleveland. Yeah, and we're talking about Matt Rule, too. You know, if you're Carolina, you have to be ecstatic right now because you go from Ron Rivera, and he obviously he's that old-school type of dude, right? He's defense first. Um, yeah, sure, he gambles every once in a while, obviously, because they call him Riverboat Ron for a reason, but you kind of knew what you got with him, you know? And in terms of the Redskins getting Rivera, I think it's a great sign because we talked about the culture and kind of reshaping things. And the Washington Redskins, I think, need that right now. But with Matt Rule, that's the exciting guy, right? Like, that's the second hire of this year. You know, he's got a little swag. He, he's, he's rocking that very restricting uh, sweatshirt that he always wears on the sidelines, a little swag to him and things of that nature. And all of a sudden, Carolina's in the running. It's like, wow, that, that was definitely an upgrade even from Rivera. So I guess my question to you, Brent, and we, we, you kind of hashed this out a little bit, but it didn't really play out like we envisioned. I mean, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars now and you see how everything shook down, you see who the Giants got, you see who the Redskins got, you see where Matt Rule went. If you could go back, would you actually let Doug Marone go and maybe Dave Caldwell and try to go after Rule? you maybe try to go after Rivera? you even try to go after McCarthy? Well, I, I think when it comes to McCarthy, here's my view of it all. And it's a great question. And, and by the way, don't know anything. I, we really don't. Uh, we don't know if privately Shad Khan did some work on this. I would assume he did. I mean, I, I would think he should uh, see what his franchise looks like from the outside according to some other people that you know, might be interested in the gig. And I think McCarthy is the is the greatest kind of barometer of all. Were there any conversations at all between Shad Khan, Tony Khan, Mike McCarthy, and his representation to gauge what their job, their franchise, this football team looked like? I have got to believe that there were some kind of conversation at least to feel it out like, would he be interested or not? He was a free agent. That's not tampering with another team. That's not uh, the only thing you would question there is, wait a minute, these guys have a job. Why would you go look for somebody else? Well, shoot, Dallas just did that for a week. They held on to Jason Garrett, and they were interviewing people at the same time. So I, I think that Mike McCarthy, they had to at least extend some kind of overture, if for nothing else to get information about what the perception of the Jags, the way they're built, where they're going, might look like. And my view on that, and again, no inside information here. I wish I had more. But I think if they did that, McCarthy was like, listen, all the respect in the world, but I don't think you guys are going anywhere. I don't think I want to get myself into that right now. I think I'll have better options. And I think once that happened, to me, Ron Rivera, 
You know how I feel about it. Wouldn't have been super high on my list. I'll take Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell for another year, I guess, instead of going long-term with Ron Rivera. That didn't appeal to me that much. Do I think his resume is better? Yes. Do I think he's maybe a better coach than Doug Marone? Yeah, but probably marginally. I don't think he's unbelievable in this rock star changing the game of football. I think McCarthy had the chance with the one-year hiatus that intrigued me, all those stories that were coming out about McCarthy, about what he did in, in the off year, and the second stint at age 56 could really be a big one for McCarthy, and I think Dallas will benefit from that, and he's in a good situation now in Dallas. And then Rule, I don't know if the Jaguars were luring Rule, but your point is a great one. This is how this all started. I didn't, I'm not sure Carolina's a better job than Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. Uh, it, it might be a little bit better. Uh, given the grievance stuff and the quarterback spot right now, depending how you view it. And we know the owner here in Jacksonville has been very patient. Would he have given Matt Rule seven years? I'm not sure about that. Uh, I know those contracts haven't been out there for Gus Bradley and for Doug Marone in these last couple of hires. So I, I guess it would have been a big gamble, man. The way the temperature was on Rule, I thought he was either staying at Baylor or going to a place like the Giants. I didn't think the Jags would have much of a chance at him and so now if you really look at it and you want me to get excited about a guy like joe judge (laughs) well i'm not saying they made the right move but i can't sit here and tell you they made the wrong move keeping doug marone i don't know how good joe judge is going to be i don't know enough about him and i can tell you this he really wouldn't have made me run to the season ticket window if you hired Joe Judge. I'm going to be honest, Brent. going to be 110% transparent with you. When Joe Judge got announced, my first instinct was, who is that? Because I, I, I literally didn't know who Joe Judge even was and turned out to be the special teams coach of the New England Patriots. Do I know much about him? I, I really don't. I can, I can go on Wikipedia and state these facts, but as far as me personally or the things that I've heard, I've heard nothing about Joe Judge, okay? Now, yes, he comes to the Patriots organization, so there's something to be said for that. At the same time, I can give you a list of guys right now who've come from the Bill Belichick coaching tree who have not had a lot of success in the NFL. Now, Bill O'Brien is probably the, the one right now who's having the most success, but once again, he hasn't been to a Super Bowl yet. I don't think he's been past the first round except for this year. So from that perspective, they haven't had a lot of success from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. And the other side of it is obviously coaching special teams. You know, like that hire is more of obviously an attitude and a culture change in New York than it is an X's and O's kind of thing. And when you talk about that, I'm going to compare that to a, a guy that people know very well right now, and that's Harbaugh and, and uh, with the Ravens because because uh, he was another special teams guy as well. So I'm not saying it's a bad signing just because. I don't know much about him. I'm not saying it's a bad signing because he's a special teams coach because history has shown that can work work as well. I'm just saying from the New York Giants perspective, you know, the the big city New York, a team that has electric players and Saquon Barkley that could have something with Daniel Jones. I think Giants fans were expecting kind of, you know, the, the premier sexy pick. And obviously when you're talking about Joe Judge, you're not getting that with him. No, I mean, this, you know, for a city that never sleeps, and that market, and that franchise, these are about, like, the unsexiest coaching picks they've made in the last couple of years. If you think about Shermer, who's a really boring guy, and now Joe Judge, who people are right now wikipedia <laughs> just 
to see what, who the heck is this guy. Sure. I, I mean, and maybe they're smart. Why the Joe Judge hire to me is a little bit like Sean McVay. Different, but it has a similarity. I'm going to get into that. Special teams coaches, do they make good head coaches, and should more of them be given a try? Maybe even a Joe D. Camillus type. Also, a couple of defensive coordinators that might be out there. One is in Wade Phillips. What about Jim Schwartz? Why are these guys so sought after, or at least the fan base maybe around here is clinging on to the hopes of, even if other teams might not want them? That always fascinates me. So let's talk about that when we come back. Take a break. I'm live at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Coos along as well. We've got a lot to get to today on the coaching circle. We want to help Gardner Minshew along on his cross-country trip. We need your help to do it as well. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. Thanks for hanging with us here on a Tuesday, everybody. We'll be right back on ESPN 690. Well, this right here isn't fun. But but coaching in these type of games, is, yes, I, I love it. Absolutely. I mean, this is what it's all about. you got great competition, great coaches, great players, and, and an opportunity to play in front of our fans uh, in a great setting. And that's what it's all about. I mean, we love that. That's why we do this. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos here on a Tuesday. I'm live at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food downtown, West Adams Street. Uh, cool location. Come down and say hello. Say hello to Howdy. Howdy's the man around here. And uh, three locations now, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Good people, awesome food as well. And this location's really a neat one uh, down here in the historic building uh, in downtown Jacksonville. All right, man, give us an Andy Reid story. You just heard from him right there as they get ready to take on Houston. I think they're going to the Super Bowl, but that's dangerous because I had New Orleans going to the Super Bowl too. Uh, I think this is the year for the Chiefs, believe it or not, while everybody else is picking Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. But I want an Andy Reid story. I need an Andy Reid story. Come on, give me one. Uh, You played for him, by the way. uh, I I, I don't have to tell you that. I'm telling everybody else. This this isn't necessarily an Andy Reid story. This has to do with Andy Reid, but this is more of a a Jackson Jacksonville Jaguars going from there, going to the Kansas City Chiefs type of story. And I'm not the only guy that's ever made this mistake before. Bear with me, but this was kind of my call out. So we're going through the last week of training camp. And usually the way it went is whoever had the best practice during that day, it didn't matter if it was a scout team guy, a kicker, it didn't matter if it was Alex Smith, Jamal Charles, uh, Tom Ali, whoever had the best day in Andy Reid's eyes got to break down the team after, you know, practice. So I had a really good day that day, and we get in the huddle, and all of a sudden he goes, Lane, go and break him down, and did not expect it. Um, definitely threw me off a little bit. So obviously I go to the the, the, the you know the, the the standard. Let's let's get a Jags win on three. Well, <laughs> well, you know because that's that's. Uh, I was conditioned for three years to say that. So obviously everyone's around me, you know, and and me being me, I'm hyped up. So I'm like, all right, that's a good practice, everybody. Let's bring it home, hit the showers, get the cold tubs, get the Pedialyte. You know, I'm getting all fired up and I'm, you know, Tom was pushing me and stuff because, you know, there's something about even during training camp, when you're done with practice, you know, all of a sudden you get a little more pep in your step because you know it's over. And you can go in the cold tub a little bit, go take a nap if you wanted to. So I was all excited. So I go, all right, let's bring him in. Jake's win on three. Jake's win. Went on three, and all of a sudden, like no one said anything. I'm like, I meant Chiefs. Chiefs went on three. Chiefs went on three. So, yeah, that was uh, that's the one that sticks out to me with the Andy Reid because he kind of put me on the spot a little bit. But obviously, the one I've told before on the show is Andy Reid is not a rah rah type guy, right? There's some coaches that were blessed with the 
gift of gab, um, the ability to motivate somebody, you know, for that pregame speech or that that night that you're sitting in the hotel before the game that Saturday night or whenever it is. Andy Reid is not that type of guy, and Andy Reid always made it a habit. And I, I talked to some guys that still play on the Chiefs actually, and I guess he still does this before every single game. You know, that that Saturday night when you're in the hotel, you're going through the final game prep and everything. He goes to the game prep. Ask if there's any questions. There's no questions. And instead of giving the speech, all he says is, all right, guys, uh, I went back to the kitchen. I saw we got some good burgers here. Let's go have a cheeseburger on me. My treat. And that's how he ends every single meeting before the game. Let's have a cheeseburger on me. My treat. And does he say that? I remember some of the stories with ice cream as well. Does no, he always so, mix it up? No. So remember, so th- th- so Andy Reid was the cheeseburgers. Doug Peterson actually stole. Oh, that. that's right. So okay. He, he stole it from Andy Reid and he used it in Philly when he talks about ice cream. But he actually okay. got that from Andy Reid. Now listen, we've been doing this show for almost a year as we celebrate that in another week or so. But I had not heard the one about you breaking them down. Oh, with the, the, yeah. the Jags, that's awesome. <laughs> like that's one of those things too. Like if you ever go back, if you see Andy Reid at the Super Bowl this year, yeah, uh, or if wherever you see him, twenty years from now, I guarantee you, either he, if he was in earshot of that, or some of the players like Kelsey or whoever oh, else, oh, yeah. that you know they remember that. Like that, you don't forget that. That's that's hilarious. I guarantee Tomba remembers that. I guarantee Justin Houston remembers that because we're kind of in the same position group. And, like, after, you know, they kind of pushed me, like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I'm just so ingrained and conditioned with it. But, like, <laughs> trust me, I'm not the only guy to ever do that. That's happened a couple times with the Bears and even the Jaguars as well where, where guys have come in, and I can't remember their names, can't remember who it was. But I remember breaking things down in the huddle, and a new guy gets to the team, he breaks down his old team. That might be the most proud thing I've done on this radio show, actually, is not say any other radio station name <laughs> at times. You know, For or sure. like we we do that, we get that all the time in TV because someone will come from you know Charlotte, yeah. you know, and and they're, whatever their call letters are or that tagline, you know, when we say uh, hey live at the stadium, Action Sports, Brent Martin, Action Sports, Jacks, sure, you know, they, they they'll say like their old one. <laughs> it's very hard not to do it. Like you're very conscious of it, yeah. uh, most of the time. So I can see where it comes from. But I, I did not hear you. Uh, that story before that yeah. is awesome yeah. uh scale how brilliant is andy reed in your opinion i know you weren't there for super long yeah but uh you know i i like bill belichick has this genius label to him right sure uh sean mcveigh kind of had that a little bit like hey he's a really bright guy see pete carroll to me I, he probably gets overlooked for his his football knowledge and wits and ability to coach because I think he people look at him as more like this character, right, mm-hmm. that you want to embrace and he'll get you riled up and fired up and he's going to go do an interview at the Combine with D.K. Metcalf and take off his shirt too. Like yeah. Andy Reid isn't doing that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But Andy Reid does come across as almost like this Oh, he's, he's science – like. A guru kind of guy, and many people say he is. Did you get that feel from him? Well, yeah, absolutely. But see, here, here's the here's the I guess the, the the enigma that is Andy Reid. Because if you spend any time as a, one of his players, especially in training camp, I mean, there was never a day where he didn't wear flip flops, like even on the field, right? Like he he's known for these Hawaiian shirts and everything. Yep. So he comes across in a super very casual manner. Whether it's the meetings that he conducts, whether it's his style, whether whether it's his appearance or just the way he talks, he's very, very casual. So you immediately kind of get like the preconceived notion where it's like, does this guy really even like do a lot of studying, or is he just kind of like, <laughs> is he kind of like the big? Because he reminds me of like the big, 
Lebowski. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. just kind of go with the flow type of guy. So then as a player, you're kind of wondering, like, well, is this guy, like, really, you know, I mean, does he really put the time and effort in, like some coaches that I met? And then I'll never forget the very first preseason game. And mind you, this is preseason, Brent. Everything's very vanilla. Coaches don't honestly spend a lot of time with the game prep. But I remember sitting in the, the very first team meeting before the, the first preseason game. And to hear him break down of what he wanted, what the defense was going to give the offense, I was like, I was in awe. I'm like, did I, like, get a concussion? I've been passed out for, like, the next four weeks. Are we in the regular season right now? Or is this preseason? But that's just, that's how much due diligence he does. So when it comes to game planning, when it comes to studying his opponent and, you know, putting his offense in the best position to be successful, in my opinion right now in the NFL, nobody does it better than Andy Reid. Yeah, very well said. Uh, that's pretty cool. And that's kind of the idea I get. He kind of has that Bruce Arians feel to him. Yeah. In a way, I yeah, think Bruce sure. Arians is a very well, smart guy, but he's also not going to – he's not – Bruce Arians, I think, will tell you right away. He's like, hey, I won't be in here at 1 o'clock sleeping in a cot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> for sure. I'm not. Well, and another cool thing about Andy Reid, too, for training camp. So I guess before he got there, um, I guess they were, like, super big on healthy eating and everything like that. Well, Andy Reid comes in, and we're sitting in the meeting. He's like – I'm telling you right now, Fridays it's gonna be fast food Friday. We got KFC coming in. We we, we got we got like all these Fridays, and literally that, that's what it was. Like every single Friday, didn't matter if it was before a game or not, it was fast food Friday. And Andy Reid had like he made sure that guys could eat fried chicken, or whatever what else it was. But it was not healthy. Um, it wasn't the best for your body. But you know what? I think that's the genius of Andy Reid, right? Like he understands that sometimes guys want to splurge a little bit, and you know, in doing that and having the fast food Fridays. That that made more guys want to eat inside the stadium. That that made more guys want to get around the round table a little bit and talk to each other. And obviously we're in a good mood because we're eating like absolute crap. Who wouldn't be in a good mood from that? So once again, it's just it's the little nuances that Andy Reid brings to a team, man, that a lot of guys just don't do. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. I, I, I like that bucking the trend of that stereotypical coach sometimes. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying the other guys don't have it right. That stuff works too. I just think it goes to show you various styles work. You know, we always say it. Coast to coast, you've got the Pete Carroll style, you've got the Belichick style. And then there's a lot of different styles in between, but I do think in there with success lies Andy Reid from Philadelphia to Kansas City, kind of in the middle part of the country now. So it's, uh, it's really fascinating to see uh, ways you can be successful. Uh, one is coaching up. I think communication is a big key. You just ex- kind of explain that in a way. And then obviously you've got to have the horses uh, as well. One, one other thing about Andy Reid, every time I think Andy Reid, I can't stop thinking Halloween because so many people <laughs> nail the Andy Reid costume. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that you can duplicate that looking man so well. Right? <laughs> For sure. Uh, I no, mean, they, kids, they nail it, kids, like, year after year. There's kids that do it. There's grown-ups that do it. Everyone can, yeah, can definitely mimic that style a little bit, and it's not an easy thing to do. And obviously, the, the mustache can put it over the top or break it. So it's all about the mustache, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I want to get to uh, one other thing about Kansas City that will then relate to Joe Judge in a moment. But I have to share this, Kuz. You've been called out on social media because today you put the show title. Now, this comes off my Twitter, which it does. So I take all the blame. I take the bullets for you here, Kuz. I'm just letting you know. But I'm giving Sounds away a little like secret. Doug Marone right here. Okay, okay keep going. Yeah. <laughs> but, so so Kuz, we, we kind of say, okay, what are we going to put in the show title, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Well, Kuz was running around. I give Kuz all the credit. He's trying to get the, the video and, and all this stuff. But he goes all caps today. You know, so on, on Twitter a lot of times you go all caps and, and people think you're yelling at him. Of course, of course. Yeah, they're very sensitive on Twitter. 
And uh, so Benjamin here, or whoever, Benjamin, since I was born, he says. So it must be Benjamin. Hey, Ben. I think he wants us to call him Benjamin. Uh, all caps, unnecessary and annoying. Makes it more likely I won't tune in. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. I mean, I wish I was that upset about things that if it was uppercase or lowercase, it's going to determine whether oh. I'm in or not. Oh, the, 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 the entitlement, huh? A little bit? Just a smidge? I mean, just I'm just smidge? telling you. Austin, this really is a message for you. You better bring your A game today because you've got to you've got to overcome the caps hey, in the title today. I'm just saying. I mean, I think we can look past the all caps real quick. I remember being in vacation Bible school, and the, the St. James edition of the Holy Bible wasn't all caps. Didn't turn me off to the Bible. I still read it. I still had to memorize my quotes and everything. Didn't get turned off to it. I think you'll be okay if it's in all caps. Just saying. That was an interesting poll from you. I didn't know if you were going to go to vacation Bible school. Oh, dude, vacation Bible today. school is the best, man. I'm talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Lamentations. You know, Brent, all those old books of the Old Testament. You know what I'm talking about. I know uh, exactly what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Those, I mean, I remember vacation Bible school, in order. Too. Yeah, those were the old books in order, by the way. Uh, you know what I remember from Vacation Bible School when it was a blast? I remember singing at the top of my lungs, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Oh, of course, man. Classic. I mean, I remember that song from Vacation Bible School when I was like five. Okay. okay. And like that place style? was rocking. That place was rocking with Go Tell It on the Mountain. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, there we go. Okay, so, boy, we're all over the place today. <laughs> I want to get to Joe Judge, the, the Giants and Joe Judge. Okay, I've got this one's going to go a little, follow me here. This one might be outside the box. I'm not saying Joe Judge has the acumen or that genius kind of label of a uh, of a McVeigh. You know, McVeigh was kind of he became the hot thing because of his ability to work with quarterbacks and his offensive. You know, again, I I use genius in like air quotes because sure. let's wait and see a little bit before we crown him. Correct. Uh, got got him to the Super Bowl and now what? But that's why he was hired. He's 31 years old and and he's just young gun. Well, Joe Judge is a 38 year old special teamer coach he's not necessarily we have no idea if he can coach offense if he's a brilliant mind here or there or maybe he's just a very good leader of men but where i'm going with this is they got the young guy in sean mcveigh and then they put wade phillips 72 years old at that time probably about 70 years old around him Mm -hmm. so they, they counterbalanced all this youth with with this veteran presence it's actually a scenario that i played out when jacksonville brought tom coughlin back that I thought, or if they were thinking about it, because we knew that was kind of a, an option, that I thought maybe we could see that in Jacksonville. You bring McVeigh in at 31 years old, and then you counterbalance with a guy like Coughlin, who obviously got all this experience. But now Joe Judge at 38 years old is goes to the Giants, and I, Gettleman is obviously a veteran GM, and, and that's kind of a plug-and-play situation. But there's some talk now, uh, and unless this has changed in the last little bit, Uh, since we started our show, that they might try to get Jason Garrett in as the offensive coordinator. Mm. Now, Jason Garrett's not this 70-year-old man, but he's a veteran guy. He's been around the block. He's kind of a calming, soothing presence, if you will, uh, that feels like a 65, 70-year-old presence. Uh, So it's interesting to me that they're going to build it that way, right? They say, hey, young guy, we see potential, but we're going to give him help. And yeah. we're going to give him help to help show the way because he doesn't know anything. There's and everything. There's no way he can know everything. He's 31 years old in McVeigh's case. He's 38 years old in Joe Judge's case. I'm trying to think, man, and help me out. I don't know if Arizona did this at all with Kingsbury. 
I don't get that feel. I mean, they kind of yeah. went young and then let him have it, unless I'm missing something. I don't know his staff off the top of my head. But it, it's interesting to kind of get the how these these folks are positioning it. You go get that hot commodity or, or this guy that we really think can be good, and we don't want to miss this opportunity to bring him into our franchise, and we think he's going to be very, very good. But let's put a little veteran experience around him. What it isn't too different from is what Shad Khan eventually decided to do with Dave Caldwell. See, he liked Dave Caldwell. He thought he did some good things. Now, he didn't do all good things, and that was apparent with the record in the four years with Gus Bradley. But part of the reason, if you remember, he said uh, when he hired Coughlin, he said, we still like Dave. We think Dave's in his formative years was the quote he said. Sure. Essentially saying, hey, we think this guy's going to be good in the NFL for a while, and we want to give him a little bit of help. In spots that he might need help, that's where maybe Tom Coughlin was here to assist, and then Caldwell could assist Coughlin and all those things. Well, as I'm saying this, you're like driving off the road because you're like, well, see the record and see how that worked out. Uh, I get it. I get it. I'm just trying to tell you like how they're going about this. Uh, well, but that does, doesn't that isn't that an interesting fit to do it that way? It absolutely is. You know, and we're talking about Kingsbury, Brent. Yeah, you, he is definitely the young gun. Um, if you want to look at some of his other personnel, you know, you have Vance Joseph, who is a defensive coordinator. I mean, he's got 15 years of experience in the NFL. Yeah. He's, he's, he's kind that of, Garrett kind of presence. Exactly. I mean, I, he's still kind of that younger guy, I feel like, but he definitely carries that Garrett kind of presence. And and that was the beauty with Sean McVay, right? His very first head coaching gig with the Rams, he brought in guys that have a wealth of experience and, and a wealth of knowledge, not only for locker rooms, but also um, you know, as calling plays and schemes of that nature. And when we talk about Wade Phillips, and we can go and break down Wade, Wade Phillips a little bit later when I say, you know, who should the Jaguars maybe pursue, Schwartz or Phillips, two uh, candidates right now that are kind of the hot topic, especially in Jacksonville. But I will say this right now, kind of a little appetizer before we break these coaches down about Wade Phillips. And this is what Sean McVay knew. He knew that Wade Phillips was definitely an old-school type of guy, right? But the whole point of bringing that old-school type of guy in is that you want to bridge the gap between Sean McVay's youth with the locker room with his coordinator. And whatever Wade Phillips says, you know, and it would, we talk about his philosophies later, but you cannot deny the fact that Wade Phillips gets along with his players, right? Just go, go on Wade Phillips' uh, Twitter for two seconds and check out what that guy posts. He's posting yeah. SpongeBob memes. He's posting, you know, uh, angry cat memes, whatever he's posting, like he's posting like he's a millennial, right? And that and that kind of shows that he can relate to the players a little bit. I don't see Tom Coughlin on Twitter posting Spongebob memes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so from that perspective, I think it was a genius move on Sean McVay's part because yes, you kind of brought this old school guy a little bit who's going to really push his players hard, but at the same time, the players obviously respect him and love playing for him. And I think right now, if you're talking about New York and their situation, they're trying to do the exact same thing. Yeah, that's a very good call. He is the youngest 72-year-old out there, probably. <laughs> Without too, a think doubt. So. Without totally a different doubt. cat than uh, than a guy like Coughlin that feels like. Again, mm-hmm. Coughlin doesn't have to be on Twitter to relate and be successful. Uh, one last thought. It's Taub in Kansas City, right, who's always been the guy that people say, great special teams coach, oh, give yeah. him a shot at the – well, they haven't given him a shot. They haven't really given a D. Camillus a shot to be a head coach. But this special teams coach, you already referred to it, John Harbaugh, uh, comes from that cloth. Now Joe Judge from that cloth. It's been rumored for years and years that maybe more special teams coaches should be head coaches in the NFL because they have to deal with the entire roster. Mm. And it will be interesting to see if that method pays off because it looks like if they can get Garrett, well, now you got a good offensive guy at least. Has a history of being a good offensive guy. I know it didn't work out in Dallas. But if you surround that special teams coach who can overlook the whole roster, 
well, it's surrounded with a good OC, a good DC, and some experience there. Maybe that will really help. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Speaking of experience, Schwartz or Phillips, would they be a fit in Jacksonville if Doug Marone decides to make a move on the defensive side of the football? It's next on ESPN 690. We're live from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, West Adams Street, newest location, just open Friday. Come check it out downtown. I think we're closer than people will realize. It sucks because, you know, it's a result-oriented business. And, you know, you go look at the results, you go and look at what happened. Uh, but you see glimpses of greatness at times, you know. And, you know, everybody deals with injuries. Everybody deals with, you know, uh, adversity throughout the season. Uh, it just seems like this year we've dealt with, like, a lot more adversity than, you know, a general team would. All right, we got more Calais Campbell. My conversation with him, we're spreading this out like over a week and, and then some, really, uh, because I'm saving some of it for some of our TV shows that we're doing, Super Bowl week, all that kind of thing. But uh, Calais continues to, I think, uh, give us some good insight on, hey, what went wrong a little bit, what this team, team needs. And, and I'm not saying Calais Campbell should be the general manager of this football team, but I do think he is about as well-grounded well-rounded, with experience, all those things to give good insight. And uh, that's what I enjoyed about our conversation, amongst other things. So uh, his future, his place in history, his place here, we're going to get to that a little bit later, about a five- or six-minute uh, piece of our conversation with Calais Campbell. And there will be some talking points off that that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, that's coming up in just a bit. Brent Martino here, Austin Lane, back in the Action Sports Jack studios. Hey, Austin, how about this? I was just talking... Uh, here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, uh, their newest location, West Adams Street, downtown. They just opened Friday. Uh, they've, they've, they've been killing it the first couple of days. They're only open until 4 o'clock, uh, usually, but they're staying open a little bit later today for our radio show. So come on down. That's cool. Try the burger. Try the menu. Try the food. Um, a lot of folks doing it downtown. If you've been to the other locations and at the beach in and, and Mandarin, well, then you know all about them, and you probably love it. But uh, come on over. Say hello. And uh, grab some food on your way home from work. Uh, they are staying open a little bit later just for you and just for us. But I was getting all the lowdown on the burgers because you know the burger's good here. I know the burger's good here. Ty loves the burger here. But I was asking, now I can't tell many of the secrets. But I'm just telling you, I now have a burger lesson under my belt from Howdy here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Okay. Now, I would never threaten a friend, let alone a co-host. But when we're in private... I need you to give me some of those details about how to make that burger, okay? I, I think that would be good. That's not a threat. I'm just saying nope. it would probably be in your best benefit if you shared some of the secrets, okay? That's all I'm saying, <laughs> hey, Brent. Hey, That's all I'm Goose. saying. Goose, where's that on the threat level? I think you're good. Yeah, I think yeah. that HR would let that one slide. Thanks, Goose. <laughs> got my hey, back. I appreciate it. Wait, wait. Goose wants to know, too. You're the guy that you just you're the guy that says, "Hey, in all honesty." <laughs> you just said, "This is not a threat, but it might be in your best interest if." <laughs> but I'm just saying, man, like I you know what? You're you're a staple to this team. You're you're a pillar, if you will. Um we want to keep you here a long time, so like I said, I'm not, I'm not threatening you obviously, but it would be in your best interest if you shared some of those burger secrets. That's all I'm saying, man. It's your choice. All right. We're just I having like fun it. here. A <laughs> uh, well, big uh, shout-out to Howdy and Charles, who uh, run the Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, do a great job with it. And seriously, the burgers are good. I wouldn't lead you astray uh, on that front. Uh, anyway, let's get back to some football talk. And let's go here at home, okay? Yeah. Why? There, there's this fascination with people, whether they hit the waiver wire as a player, whether they're a head coach, an assistant coach, or whatever. 
in sports, as fans in sports, that we get so infatuated with a player or person that just got let go. Isn't that kind of humorous? <laughs> I mean, like, did yeah. they get let go for a reason? Like, in free agency, we'll have this conversation. Okay, well, why isn't that team paying to keep them? One might be dollars. It's a salary cap league. I get it. Yeah. But isn't that why free agency is so hit or miss? Because, well, the team that had them didn't want to keep them or didn't want them bad enough. That's a red flag to begin. Is that a red flag with the coaches, Jim Schwartz, if he is let go and, and not retained in Philly, or now a Wade Phillips who, who is not going to be re-upped in L.A.? Listen, yeah, it, it, it could be kind of an overreaction, but at the same time, I can definitely get the fans' perspective from this, Brent, or even the national media's perspective, because if you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, there's not a lot to be positive about, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So when a guy like Schwartz gets let go, or we'll see, you know, if a guy like Wade Phillips, who has just got let go, um, is available, well, you look at their track record, right? You look at and see, all right, well, Wade Phillips, he's got some Super Bowl experience. Um, he had a decent run, you know, with the Rams or whatever. Now, granted, the Rams were more an offensive-oriented team, but their defense still did their part as well. And if you look at Schwartz, obviously Schwartz has some Super Bowl experience as well. So if you're a fan, whether you're a fan of the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, whatever, whatever underachieving team you can think of, if you're a fan after the season, of course it's your instinct to try to get better. And when you analyze the team right now, it's like, man, our defense didn't do that good. Oh, wow, look at look at this shiny new thing that it just got let go because, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's contracts, whether it's just underperforming, but at least he's got some experience. You know, at least he, he's had a lot of success. I want that guy. So that's kind of the, uh, you know, the fan's instinct to always try to go above and beyond what you have right now, especially when things aren't going too well. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I listen. I'm kind of asking a redundant question. I, I understand it to a degree, but shouldn't we be cautious about it, I guess, is my overall. Now, in Jacksonville right now, I, I understand. Again, you're yelling at me, and, and uh, that's okay. I can hear you through your car uh, <laughs> and anywhere else you're listening. So I understand. Any, anybody around here, like if I got signed as the defensive coordinator tomorrow of the Jags because they let Todd Wash go, this place would throw a party. And I don't know anything about defense. Sure. So that's one of the reasons. That's the main reason. Right now it's like, okay, just give me something other than Todd Wash as a defensive coordinator. I mean, it's really simple as that in Jacksonville. People are tired of it. Uh, yeah, it was a nice run for a little bit. Nothing personal, Todd. That's what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I, like, I get it. I understand it. They, they want change. In fact, I think all of us would like to see something change other than just Tom Coughlin in a corner office to have hope that this is going to look different and better going forward. So I, I think you nailed it. So let me just simply ask you this. You like Schwartz. I do. But you also love the idea going to a 3-4, I think, and playing these guys. Let's assume Ngakwe's around, franchise tag or whatever, and he's playing Allen and Ngakwe. Yeah. And maybe a 3-4 kind of situation, and even that benefits Miles Jack perhaps at the linebacker spot. Which one would you pick if you had a choice? So I'm glad you asked, like Brent, because you know obviously I did a little homework. Um, and to be fair, this is pretty easy homework to do because I played in one system and I have yeah. experience, you know, playing against the, the other system with Wade Phillips. So if we're breaking down Jim Schwartz here, you know, and we're talking about that wide nine, that crash nine philosophy, well. 
I got my introduction to that actually at the Senior Bowl because back then the the Lions coaches back in 2010 were the Senior Bowl coaches for the North team. So my first experience with an NFL type of scheme was the crash nine technique. And and a guy that spearheaded it was a defensive line coach by the name of Chris Kosirik. Now keep that name in mind. I'm going to bring him up here in a little bit. But my first you know endeavor in the NFL, the Senior Bowl, was Chris Kosirik, who was absolutely insane. And when I say insane, I mean just you know the high motor. <laughs> The, the 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 swearing everything like that in terms of a defensive line coach and that seems to be as I found out down the line that seems to be the the mo of a defensive line coach but anyways so he would always have this thing where it's like yeah we're, we're gonna stop the run but it's gonna be on the way to the quarterback and he did some little things during film during practice that I've never seen another team or another uh, you know defensive line or defensive coordinator coach do. And since we're going to break right now, I'll get into that in a little bit and why I think that crash nine, that edge nine technique, the wide nine technique that the Detroit Lions have ran in the past with Schwartz, that the 49ers are actually currently running now, that the Eagles ran in the Super Bowl, could be very beneficial to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And also why you cannot sleep on Wade Phillips and why I may actually prefer Wade Phillips a little bit over Jim Schwartz. Schwartz or Phillips? 3-4, crash 9. What should they do if they were to make a move on defense here in Jacksonville? That's next on ESPN 690. I saw even this last game, you know, you saw the potential of what our team can be. And in 2017, when everybody bought in and everything was gelling for us, it was an incredible ride. You know, you had the expectations of it, and you, know, you can tell, like, we're just being a young team. We don't we don't operate with with that. We have to, you know, we have to earn it. Interesting thought from Calais Campbell. It's almost like this football team needs a chip on their shoulder and motivation. You know, they need they're young. They they need that. Hey, get me fired up for this game. Which I know sounds a little ridiculous, but I was thinking of that watching the postseason this weekend. And how many guys? I haven't done this study yet, but I'm going to go back and do this, Austin. How many players on, say, Philadelphia, maybe it's Seattle now, and it, what I really, I gotta try to be a careful because when you have the quarterback like Wilson who hides so many other things, it might be not as true. But take the playoff teams, and how many guys do they have with like say five years experience i i don't know what the key in the nfl is yeah like maybe it's your fifth year maybe it's your seventh year actually I, listen if you talk to clays campbell a little bit he'll tell you it took him like seven years to kind of figure it all out and say man i need to do this i mean i'm playing okay but i can play better you know some guys it takes a, a while to figure it out so whatever that number is but I, let's just say five so you're a seasoned guy you know what to expect you don't have to be told to do everything off-season, in-season, Monday, Friday, Sunday morning, all those things. That matters. I do think that matters. And we've talked about it around here. They don't have enough of those guys, haven't had enough of those guys. But I'm wondering how many, because I was like looking at that Eagles team, and I'm looking at like Kelsey, the center. He's been, what, nine years and sure. a three-time Pro Bowler and three-time All-Pro. And that's just a guy, like, you don't have to tell him a thing. Like, you almost don't even have to tell him the game plan. He knows the game plan. And how many of those guys can you get on your roster on both sides of the ball that just add this level of toughness to it? You know, I think about this Jags defense, and I always have to be careful when I do this, Austin, because I'm not necessarily call, I'm not calling anybody that plays the game of football soft. But what, if I would identify the Jaguars' defense in the last few years, or even when they were good or not so good, I would say they are extremely athletic, they are fast, and they are playmakers. Hmm. 
the word I would not use is violent or tough, physical. I wouldn't. I, I, I don't look at that. Like, that doesn't come into my mind. That's not to say they aren't. I mean, I think Calais Campbell's a physical player. I think he's a tough football player. I think some of these guys are violent players. Dante Fowler, when he played, he was a violent football when he played Jacksonville. I think Miles Jack has the ability to be a violent football player. But I just it doesn't jump off the table at me, off the screen, off the field when I'm in, in live action there, and say, man, this team is tough. And usually that starts on defense. And you just don't feel that. And I feel that with some of these other teams. It jumped off the TV to me that say, you know, those, that Eagles team is not very good, but they're as tough as nails. Yeah. Like it jumped off the TV that they are as tough as nails. And if you ask people why they're here, why they're good, that might be the fifth, sixth, seventh reason that they give. They might say Carson Wentz. They might say some of the offensive firepower. They might say Fletcher Cox. They might say Doug Peterson. But there's just this ingrained toughness in a team like Philadelphia, and I think some of that does have to go with experience. Obviously, it goes with experience, Brent, but if you were to ask me what is the one characteristic of a team's identity, you know, a team's toughness, their speed, their IQ, um, their ability to make plays, what is the one characteristic that, that defines them over everything? And I think it defines it over experience. I think it defines it over cult- I mean, culture has something to do with it. But I think it's defined as the coach. You know, you're, you're a direct correlation of your coach. For instance, I always say defensive linemen are crazy. Do you know why? Because there's a bunch of crazy, crazy defensive line coaches out there. I think, you know, like Andy Reid, um, in terms of you know his genius, I think he's an offensive genius. Well, if you look at his team, the way they operate, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, I mean, those guys are playmakers. They're, they're a direct correlation to Andy Reid. And I think the same can be said on the defensive side of the ball. Now, yes, does it help to have some of those seasoned vets, those guys that have been there a while that know what to expect? Absolutely. In my opinion, you can't win a Super Bowl um, you know, if you don't have those guys. But at the same time, that's where coaching comes in, where if you have the inexperienced guys, if you don't have a, a locker room full of veterans and you have a locker room full of young guys, that's where the coaching, the technique, and just getting your point across becomes so important. That's a good point, man. It's a good point. And I think that also shows a little bit of the systematic problem we had here in Jacksonville these last few years. Uh, right or wrong, however you feel on this, we knew it was Tom Coughlin kind of that present, represented that toughness. I, I can't necessarily tell you what Doug Marone represented. I feel like he wanted to be a tough run first football team, tough on the offensive line and in the trenches. I feel that way, but I don't know it for sure. And so that was kind of one of the disconnects because we kind of associated everything around this football team to Coughlin, not really the head coach. And forget about what we think. The players might have been just as curious. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's easy for us to sit back here, you know, in the studio or jump in Jack's house of food and just, you know, say this is what happened. But obviously you don't see the entire picture in that locker room. So it's hard for us to come say exactly what went down. I mean, all I have to go off is the experiences that I had playing in the NFL. And and when I say those, I mean, and I'm here to tell you, it's a direct correlation because every single team that I played on, you can say we weren't that successful. Um, You know, we have the ups and downs. But ironically, every single team that I was a part of had an absolute ball in defensive line. Okay? And that stemmed from the coaching. And some teams are a little younger than others. Uh, I would go back to the 2011 team where I think we were a top five defense. That was a pretty fairly young team, especially on the defensive line, right? But obviously having a guy like Joe Cullen um, at your disposal to kind of, you know, hold you accountable. Uh, 
may make you kind of scared to make a mistake if you did make a mistake. I mean, that all rubbed off on that group, you know, and now there's still like guys like Tyson Alwalu who are still playing in the NFL, you know, talented guys of that nature. And if, if you go to Chicago or Kansas City, it's it's much of the same thing, you know, and it's like I said, Brent, the successful teams, they all have those seasoned vets for sure. But the like the overly successful teams, the teams that like get put over just having vets that have the leadership, it falls to the coaching, obviously. Yeah, it's a good point. And listen, just because you know who a coach is too, uh, and you maybe do have the true identity, doesn't automatically make them a great team. Correct. <laughs> so correct. you got to be careful of that. But uh, it just you know you think about some. I'm trying to think of, of an example of that, and I'm thinking of a guy like. Like Garrett, who missed the play. I don't know. What is his style? Like, what is, he kind of just stands. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because we don't cover the Cowboys enough. So I don't really know, like, what his identity is or what he wants to be. He's an offensive-minded guy. Sure. But what does he want in a football team? It doesn't jump out at you. Uh, so I think it's – maybe it is kind of paralleled a little bit to success, mm-hmm. uh, at least over time. You know, sometimes I think you're, annually you might have a team that gets lost – but I think over time, we kind of want to be able to identify coaches who they are, especially if they have some longevity. And that's not always an easy thing to do. All right, before the break, you were breaking down Philip Schwartz yeah. and this Jim, defense. And G- Jim Schwartz. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah uh, Wade Phillips and Jim, Jim Schwartz. Schwartz. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I, I just made him into a, an, an attorney <laughs> office, a law firm. I like uh, that. <laughs> maybe they'll both come here. Some, sounds, sounds like an endorsement for the show. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so uh, go on with it, okay? You were yeah. with the wide nine, the crash nine, uh, which you played in. The wide nine, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's Schwartz's style, 3-4 Phillips. Uh, if, again, now Todd Wash is still a defensive coordinator here, if they were to make a change, if they were to move in a different direction, the, the question all here in, in what uh, Austin's breaking down is, which direction should they go? Go ahead. Exactly. So as I kind of before the break, is there anything worse when you get into a juicy part of your breakdown yeah. and then you hear Kuz go one minute? Not his well, fault, just how we do things around here. I but know. man, it's, uh, it's rough. Well, but getting back. Well, hey, listen, I'll, I'll go what's worse is then. Then when we come back in yeah. for the next eight minutes, I ramble on about something else that doesn't oh, have to no, do what you were talking no, that about. That was fantastic because actually, <laughs> when I break these down, the, the the point that you actually made is going to be the point where I pick the coach. I think it's going to be a better choice here. But getting back to Jim Schwartz real quick. So I, I, I told you to remember a name by the name of Chris Kosarek, right? And yep. if you break down the 49ers, Brent, who do they have as defensive coordinator? Do you, uh, Robert Sala. Sala, exactly. Yep. So they got Robert Sala runs essentially the same defense that the Jacksonville Jaguars ran, right? Well, yep. this year he did something different because once again, I always say great coaches can see the talent that they have and make their scheme work for their talent. He saw that he had a guy with Bosa, right? Who's this, the, the stud coming out of Ohio State, um, all things considered supposed to be a pretty good pick. Defensive end. You had a guy in D Ford who they brought in. Two defensive ends kind of cut from the same cloth. I would argue that Joey Bosa is probably even a little more refined in his technique already for even being a first-year guy more than D Ford, who's more of that, that explosive, athletic type of person. But they're both pass-rushing defensive ends. So Robert Sala had kind of a... a a conundrum on his hands because he had two legit defensive ends and one of them 
was going to have to play that big end spot, just like the Jacksonville Jaguars do with Clayus Campbell. The problem is, who was it going to be? Well, that's where Chris Caseri comes in. Robert Sala took it upon himself to change the scheme a little bit, to add another wrinkle to it. So he goes after defensive line coach Chris Caseric. And Chris Caseric was my defensive line coach at the Senior Bowl, and he was my defensive line coach with the Lions when I was there for five or six games. And the reason why I said that Chris Caseric and the Lions organization when I was there, they did something that I've never seen done and never actually heard them from different teams. The Eagles probably do it now. When I say he did something different, I, I talked about in that wide nine technique, Brent, it's all about getting to the quarterback. It's all about the first step. It's all about stopping the run on the way to the quarterback. From a defensive end perspective, it's a fun thing to play in, right? I was at the senior bowl thinking like, oh, this is the NFL. I can literally turn it loose every single play and just be myself. Dude, this is awesome. Like, the NFL is going to be fantastic. Well, then fast forward to playing a seven technique, head up on the tight end, taking on double teams in Jacksonville, and it was a rude awakening. But anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's another story. But getting back to the lines, what they used to do. So when I say they did things differently, every single play, whether it was in practice or during a game, Chris Kosarek, my defensive line coach, he would put, put every single play you know, on the film and we'd break it down. But instead of breaking the play down, he would do this thing where you would watch the play happen and he would stop it right as the ball is snapped. Now, why did he do that? He snapped, he stopped the play as soon as the ball was snapped to see who was the first guy off the defensive line. Who was the first guy that was getting out of their stance and making a move? Because he did that every single play to hold guys accountable. Because that's how important your first step in this system is. It's a system that can allow you to pull your hair back and just play, don't think but play. But if you don't have the tools to use that, there's no sense in even doing it. So literally, I'm not even exaggerating. Every single practice rep, every single game rep, but right when the ball was snapped, Chris would pause the film and we would say, all right, who's off first? Uh, okay, it was, it was Sue. It was Z- Ziggy Ansah. Okay, who's the last guy? Uh, it was probably Austin Lane. It was probably <laughs> Devin Taylor. But every single time, he would call guys out and said, faster first step, faster first step, faster first step. Well, well guess what happened after a, a bunch of me being the last guy? I got better. Offsides. Offsides <laughs> as well. But this is, this is the type of philosophy, Brent, that he carried with him to the San Francisco 49ers. And this is what they're implementing now. It's, they have guys like Ford, Bosa, who they just turn loose and go after the quarterback. So from that perspective, and I look at Yannick Ngakwe. And I look at Josh Allen. Obviously, if, if it's up to me, if I'm the defensive coordinator, I want to get them on the, on the field as a say, at the same same time. Now, I get it. Base packages, maybe it can account for 25, maybe 30% of all your defense. I don't care. I have Josh Allen at my disposal. I have Yannick Ngakwe at my disposal. They should be in the game 100% of the time. Yeah, you can take them out and spell them here or there, but I want them on the field together as much as possible. And this wide nine defense, Brent, it would allow you to do that. That's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, now, hey, uh, did your first step get better because you were aware of it or something that I well, mean, are you are you born? You either have that or you don't. Well, no. I, mean, not, so, I mean, that's a yeah. little sidebar here. No, but. no, no, exactly. So, I mean, I'm from the philosophy where you're either born with that, that quick first step, but you can obviously get it faster. Like, for instance, 
Marcel Darius. If yeah, you, you love Marcel Darius. I, right? I love his first step, and, and I think Marcel Darius was probably born with that first step. Now, yes, obviously he's he's improved on it. He's improved his technique, but some guys I think either have it or you don't have it. And, and in terms of yeah, myself getting better. Well, I had to get better, right? Because I was literally getting called out every single play. All right, Lane, you're the last one I understand. Get faster, get faster. And it was weird to come from a seven technique, which I was accustomed to playing in Jacksonville, where I'm head up on the tight end, kind of a wider stance, where I can now just literally pin my ears back on every single play and go after the quarterback. And I feel like, especially with Yannick Ngakwe, that's his style of play, Brent, right? Yannick Ngakwe wants to get to the quarterback. Yannick Ngakwe relies on his speed more than... And obviously his strength because he's a little bit of a shorter guy not saying he's not strong but i'm saying he'd rather beat guys with speed his first step than obviously the technique so from that perspective the wide nine is a perfect defense i feel like for the jaguars and that's what jim schwartz would bring to the table but now here's the here's the little caveat and here's the only issue that i can see going forward if, if you want to run the wide nine if you want to do like the San Francisco 49ers do if you want to do like the detroit Lions did back uh in the day when i played or the eagles did in the super bowl that's great, but you have to have a legitimate, and I mean a legitimate, bona fide, all pro, pro bowler type of three technique. And one could say, well, Clayus Campbell is the pro bowler type, but you have to ask yourself, how many reps does he have per game, right? Are you going to rely on him in the run game as well as the pass game, or is he a guy that you want to come in and spell a little bit, maybe 20 plays a game? Because you need a three technique who's going to be out there for 40-something plays a game. Obviously, when you talk about the Eagles and their three technique, Fletcher Cox, one of the most underrated NFL players um, in history, in my opinion. Uh, if you talk about the Lions, obviously you got a guy in, in Dominican Sue who was that type of guy. So you have to have a legitimate bona fide three technique, and that's something where you obviously have to probably go in the draft to acquire that. Can you slide uh, Marcel Darius into that role if you were to re-sign him? Again, yeah. I, I know everybody thinks Marcel Darius is gone because they see the $22 million number, and, and I get it, and I think he's probably gone too, but I haven't. I haven't closed the door because Marone coming back, I think, allows the opportunity potentially for Marcel Darius to be back because they really like working with each other. Darius, he doesn't care. I should say he doesn't care about the money. That's not accurate. But he's made $100 million, man. Yeah. I mean, he wants to be in a place that he can that he's having fun and enjoys it. And Jacksonville has been that for him. I know that sounds a little, yeah, whatever, Brent, but it's true with him. He, he, he likes to be in a good spot. He did not like finishing up in Buffalo. He has enjoyed it in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And I there's this in the back of my mind, I almost wonder with Marone coming back if Marcel Darius uh, will return at some price point if they can agree to it. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I was talking about the guy's first step. I mean, probably to the point where people are getting annoyed with me by talking about uh, uh, you know some grown man's very first step in the NFL off the ball. But in terms of that nature, Brent, absolutely. He would be a perfect three technique and that type of scheme. And guess what? Can you imagine telling Marcel Darius, listen, man, you know what? Pin your ears back, use that great first step, and just get upfield. Just cause chaos. No, I don't need you to two-gap here. I don't need you to focus on taking the double. You just go as fast as you can. You get to point A to point B, and the linebackers and everybody else will take care of the rest. Can you do that for me? I think Marcel Darius would be more than happy to do that. And that's a testament to Jim Schwartz of the free agents that he's been able to acquire in Philadelphia, right? Like Michael Bennett. Um, you know, I forget who else they got a defensive end, but... Guys want to play in that type of system because it's fun. And if guys are having fun, number one, they're going to play better. The, the culture in the locker room is going to be better. And obviously you're probably going to win some more games because of that.
All right, two more questions about Schwartz's style of defense. I've, uh, I'm going to say two things. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Sure. I'll begin with Taven Bryan. I think he's a guy that potentially could benefit from this kind of defense because I think that is the book on him. He has a quick first step. He can be explosive, all those things, and he wouldn't really have to be in a position to be thinking on every play and doing this and that and just go have fun and get after that guy, which I think, like you just said, players want to do. I think he would like to do more of. Yeah. Uh, right or wrong, could Taven thrive or at least you get more out of him in that kind of system. You're absolutely correct, Brent, well, without a doubt. Because when I mentioned Chris Kosirik, it's funny you brought up Taven Bryant. Because I've always said that I compare myself to actually a lot of Taven Bryant, right? He's an intense individual. Um, you know, he's still learning the game, obviously, but he plays with a, a high physical motor. And when I talked to Chris Kosirik when I got to the Lions, they actually told me that they had a six-round grade on me. Um in the draft, and it was their plans to try to take me in the sixth round because they liked more than anything at the Senior Bowl, they liked my motor. And he even said, he's like, if you have a motor, you, you can play in this defense, hands down, because that's what we require of you. We require you to go balls out every single play. And they saw that from me at the Senior Bowl. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. It is what it is. But when we're talking about that defense, Brent, I think Taven Bryan brings a lot of those capabilities and a lot of those attributes that you know the, the wide nine defense would be looking for. One other thought on that. I feel like everything you tell me about the wide nine is, hey, go get the quarterback, worry about the run after. Okay, exactly. so in my mind, I'm like, oh, there's going to be a lot of running yards for ding, some ding, teams. Ding. <laughs> uh, so that means I better have good linebacker play. Absolutely nailed it, Brent, without a doubt. You know, And then this was, let's be honest, no defense is perfect. If, if the defense was perfect, every team in the NFL would be running it. And th that is kind of the Achilles heel. Th th that is kind of the con of doing this wide nine defense, where you have the philosophy of pitting your ears back in every single play and going to the quarterback. Well, obviously, it can leave you vulnerable in the run game. That's why San Francisco is so good at this defense, because they have the lateral speed. You know, that they have the linebackers that can identify the a hole, fill it, but also can go sideline to sideline with the speed. You definitely need a legit three technique, and you also need legit linebackers, and the 49ers obviously have those. This is one of those cases where if you had Telvin Smith going forward, you'd be very excited about it. Now, I will say this, though. You have a guy like Quincy Williams, obviously kind of had a rough rookie campaign, uh, more in coverage than actually stopping the run. But to me, this defense, too, would be made for guys like Quincy Williams, who just, they're, they're one read and just go. Just go, just go, just go. And I feel like Quincy Williams could actually benefit in that type of scenario. All right, last one here. Uh, I get this. It isn't like Schwartz kind of comes across to me like he's this loose cannon guy. Sure, like, yeah. I mean, and, and you, well, you always say crazy defensive guy, but he kind of gives, a, and by the way, this is like, don't. I'm not trying to slander him or anything. I'm just saying he comes across like like, that's like that guy. That's Brent A.S. Jacks on Twitter. I've never been around him. I have no idea. I, I mean, you read yeah. stuff on people and all this. You know, listen, the, the 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 picture that was painted of Doug Marone in Buffalo versus yeah. what we've experienced in Jacksonville is two different things. So um, I don't know. I mean, well, you've been around him. Is, yeah, is, for is sure. He, is listen. he got a is screw loose? Yeah, no, listen. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk bad about anybody, man. But, like... If you see Jim Schwartz on the sideline or the way he presents himself in press conferences, I'm going to say this. The way he comes across, 
That's who he is. Okay. Now that I'm just being honest here. So yeah, he kind of does have that that wild card um, a little bit about him, right? Uh, one could because remember there was a whole thing where was he trying to flunk the see uh, the Eagles season so he could be head coach and things like that. I mean, I don't think it was that, but you know, the, 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 he kind of has this reputation a little bit of it's hard to even put it in words, you know, but. It's almost like he's got this arrogance about him where it's kind of his way or the highway, I guess I would say. You know, and a lot of successful coaches have that about him, right? It's just if you're not doing successful, then it can backfire. So from that perspective, he definitely has that kind of – uh, that genuine uh, kind of run-of-the-mill defensive coordinator mentality, I would say. Okay, uh, let's flip over to Wade Phillips. What yeah. I, that would be a 3-4. Sure. Again, I'll just say what I said earlier. This team, you've, you begged for the 3-4 since April when they drafted Josh Allen. Never really got it. Some people will say various reasons why. You know, Ngakwe wasn't in camp in August. Couldn't do some of the things they wanted to maybe do and, and show more of a hybrid and more different looks. Whatever it is, it didn't happen. But the, they do have some players that would equal the skill set of a 3-4. Would that be enough to get you excited in a Wade Phillips kind of defense? So I'm going to be 100% honest here and 100% transparent. I am a fan of Jim Schwartz and the way he runs his defense. I think it would be great for Jacksonville. But I think Wade Phillips, honestly, would be the way to go. And it's for a few reasons. Number one, in terms of experience with his dad and now him, Brent, I mean, this guy has been around football his entire life. He understands the game in and out. He can game plan for anybody. The X's and O's, obviously, he's got that covered by a long shot. When you, when you talk about a guy who's been around football his entire life, who grew up with it, who has over whatever years of experience, you get worried, is can he relate to the players, right? And I'm not even talking about assignment. I'm not talking about scheme right now. I'm talking about personality. Because to me, the most important thing that Wade Phillips can bring to a team is the personality. This is a guy who can relate to his players. This is a guy who his players love to play for. There's a guy by the name of Connor Barwin who played for the Eagles for a while uh, but spent some time in Houston with Wade Phillips. Well, me and Connor Barwin have this, the same agent, and I heard a lot of Wade Phillips stories. Those guys in that locker room, Brent, there wasn't a guy that they would rather play for than Wade Phillips. He's this old school, you know, eat dirt and chew on stone or whatever type of person, but for some reason, he can relate to the modern era NFL player. He can crack jokes with the best of them. Just go on Twitter and you'll see that. So from a personality standpoint, from from a standpoint of obviously working guys hard out in practice, having that old school mentality, but also having the mentality where he can relate to the, the newer guys, where he can crack jokes with the newer guys and almost like seem part of the locker room, I think there's not a better guy that you can have than Wade Phillips. Now let's get into the scheme real quick. You mentioned it, the 3-4. We're talking about a 3-4. What's the most important part, Brent? you got to have two great edge rushers. Josh Allen, Yannick Ngakwe, enough said. And if any time I can get those guys in the field at the same time, I would absolutely do that. Wade Phillips is a guy who grew up with the 3-4 defense and implemented it, especially in Houston. But if you look at his defense and the way he runs things, he lives by three philosophies, I would say. And those three philosophies, they would be align, assign, and technique. Where's your alignment? What's your assignment? Use good technique, okay? Now, out of this 3-4 defense that he runs, he gives a lot of various looks. In the run game, on first down, out of base, 
it's pretty simple. Every guy's got their job. You align right. You assign right. Execute your technique. Pretty simple. But where his mastermind truly comes in is is going against the pass game because that's where the confusion comes in. And what better way to confuse somebody than J.J. Watt? J.J. Watt's a prime example of the genius of Wade Phillips. There was a time when J.J. Watt was coming out of college where he was considered a three technique. He was he was said to be a little too slow and a little too big to play the defensive end spot. Wade Phillips said, very cool, check this out. Wade Phillips aligned J.J. Watt. It didn't matter where he was at, whether it was you know the one technique, the three technique, a five technique, a nine technique. Wade Phillips told J.J. Watt, you know what? You go where you think the weakest guy on the offensive line is, and we're going to build a defense around that. And that's how J.J. Watt had so much success. And if you interview J.J. Watt, if you talk to J.J. Watt, he'll be the first one to tell you. Those 20-sack seasons, Brent, were a direct correlation to Wade Phillips giving him free reign. And this is another great thing about Wade Phillips. He's a freelance guy. Yes, he has his philosophies. Yes, he uses his tendencies. But he always tells his players, whether it was with the Broncos, the Rams, or the Texans, or wherever else he came, or even in Dallas, he tells his guys, listen, you guys are the athletes. You guys are making millions of dollars. Go freelance. Go do your thing. Now, if you freelance and you mess it up, then we do it my way. But if you freelance and you do things your way, we're all going to win. We're all going to be happy. So that's what I love from Wade Phillips. It's the fact that, yes, he's a 3-4 old school type of guy, but he allows his players to be athletes, not robots, to be athletes and make plays for themselves. And as long as guys can keep that in within the realm of themselves and you know play as a team, I think it's a great defense. It's a great personality to have in your locker room. Yeah, he'd be a fun guy, that's for sure. I mean, we just got off this Gardner Minshew train in 2019. Wade Phillips would be a fun weekly news conference, uh, that's for sure, here in Jacksonville. Again, I think all this, what we're doing is saying, hey, what if, what if, what if? Todd Washington, defensive coordinator. I am not convinced they're making changes in Jacksonville. I'm not, uh, until I see them. And, and we'll see if it happens. But you also have to be, if you're going to make a change, you got to lure somebody in for possibly a year. By the way, Jack Stan says, didn't Darius, Marcel Darius, have double-digit sacks with Schwartz and Buffalo? And uh, you're exactly right, Jack Stan. He had just go. looked it up, double-check. When Marone was the coach, Schwartz was the defensive coordinator. And that's about obviously why everybody's tying this together. Uh, Marcel Darius had 10 sacks that season, his career high. So it speaks to everything you just said. It's the power of the first step, man. The power of the first step. Yeah, you're right on the money, man. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of education right there. I appreciate you jumping in on that. Uh, That was uh, really good stuff. All right, that was heavy, heavy football. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) We go. We're going light when we come back. Somebody give me a cigarette. Well, Gardner Minshew might have one driving. (laughs) Arm out the window. He's somewhere in the in Kansas right now in his RV. What kind of tips would you give Gardner Minshew as he makes his cross-country trek? Star Star 690 is the number. We're back on ESPN 690 right after this. Hello. Gardner Minshew here. After a long rookie year, I've decided to take a step back, recenter myself the only way I know how. Hopping in my brand-new RV and touring this great country. So if you're anywhere between Jacksonville and L.A., I want to hear from you. Places to see. Anything for free, food to eat, people to meet. Hopefully I see y'all out there on the road. But until then, keep it rolling. What makes people go absolutely crazy when they see Gardner Minshew for 25 seconds talking about his RV in jorts next to it? I don't get it. Sometimes I don't get it. I don't understand. Why the phenomenon around here? 
with Gardner Minshew, Austin Lane. Brent, if I was going to sum it up in one word, it would be Americana. He, yeah, he, he, is, is. A, he is not a slice. He is the entire pie. <laughs> he is the entire pie in the display case of Americana. He is apple pie is what you're saying. Yeah. You know what's funny? It is like that looked like it was straight out of a movie, right? Oh, I yeah. mean, whether it's whether it was, he looked like he was, he was a a, a thirty second clip in We Are the Millers. Exactly. Good call. <laughs> good, good, great movie and a great call by you. Yes. That is an awesome movie. It though, is. Isn't it? That's fantastic. Yep. Uh, and by the way, I feel like, in many respects, that spot or that little 30 seconds on Instagram, the gram, by the way, you wouldn't have seen it, Austin, because you're not cool enough for that. That's I call it the gram, but okay. Yep, go on. uh, That could have been you. Like, I could picture you doing the exact same thing that Gardner Minshew did yesterday on Instagram. Like, that exact shirt. Yeah. You know, maybe not the full jorts, but probably some cutoffs. You know, and, and deadpan serious into the camera, and then, bam, here we go on RV. Now, I don't know which one would be more dangerous in an RV across the country, you or Minshew. <laughs> well, yeah. I'd probably vote for you. I think he, he's, he's probably a little bit more aware of his surroundings and everything. Well, Brent, did, did you get the, the text message that I sent you this morning about the trip yes. that we took? Okay. How bad was it? Did you get arrested three or four times? Well, no, we didn't get arrested at all. Probably a couple close <laughs> calls. But I always listen. I've been rocking jean shorts for a while. I used to rock a bandana, and I've taken a trip, not across country, but my friends and I, we actually got an RV, and we took it up north, uh, when I say up north, like the upper Michigan parts, um, for a bachelor party. So I actually have a little experience in terms of renting an RV, getting a bunch of friends together for a, for a pretty solid journey. So I've, I've been there, Brent. All right. Uh, well, he's doing it. Yeah. And... Let's go help him out. You've done it before. I have. What, what did you forget on your RV trip when you went north for the bachelor party that you would say, hey, Gardner, yeah. make sure you and the boys have this? Well, I didn't really, we didn't forget anything, really. I mean, it was it was a pretty good, you know, we kind of covered all our bases. You know, we, we minded our P's and Q's, and we said goodbye to our families. It was kind of like, you know, you ever see like the, the old school movie, uh, the Grapes of Wrath, you know, like when they're getting ready to head out, they're going to the West Coast, the, like the Dust Bowl or whatever. They're saying goodbye to everybody, and everyone's like, yeah, probably not everyone's going to come back. It's kind of like the Oregon Trail. Someone's going to probably fall off eventually the wagon. Well, that's kind of how we approached it. Like, we started with, I think it was six people, and we started, you know, goodbye to our families and everything, respectively. And everybody kind of figured that not everyone's going to come back. Either somebody would be thrown in jail or somebody would, I don't know you lost in the woods but thankfully we all did come back and as far as our list was concerned um the only thing we had to make sure to bring was obviously the keg which we did very good uh, by the way this is um something that we maybe should do like in june i like just it. go for a week i like it a, a week lot. or two uh, and you know we'll go knock on the travel camp's door again <laughs> and help us out in rv city and say hey we're just going to do our show every single day yeah from the road in Absolutely. the RV, wherever we go, we'll just drive. Yep. I, I, so we can't drive anymore and then turn around. I'll tell you what, man. I like your style a lot. There's something about being on the open road, especially with, uh, you know, good good dialogue, good camaraderie, good friends. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. So while our trip, we didn't really bring a lot. Obviously, I mentioned the keg and obviously the ice to, to keep the keg cold. But I, I still do have about five or six tips that Gardner Minshew can use um, to have the most successful RV excursion. What you got? 
Okay, so Brent, did you get the, so obviously the picture that I texted you this morning? Did you see it? I did. Okay, yeah, I did. If you if you look at the driver in that picture, and for the fans, I hope you just kind of explain it. What does the driver in the picture have in his mouth? Do you see that? If you go back to uh, it, I'm looking at it. Hang on, probably a cigar, but hang on. Yeah, close. Cigarette. He has a cigarette. That, my friends, is what we call Smokin' Joel. Now, Smokin' Joel was a guy who was like a few years older than we were when we were in high school, but he was one of the most dependable guys out there. He actually drove semi-truck when he graduated college, and unfortunately, his semi-truck tipped over due to a windstorm, so he stopped driving semi <laughs> after that. So we, we call Smokin' Joel Smokin' Joel for one reason, because the guy smokes cigarettes. You will never see him without a cigarette in his mouth. His addiction was so bad that actually true story my mom used to well my mom didn't but i made my mom smuggle smuggle cigarettes from murray state kentucky back up to iola wisconsin because it was like 10 bucks cheaper for a carton in kentucky than it was in wisconsin with the tax prices for tobacco so smoking joel was a guy who never drank just smoked cigarettes and me garner Minshew, that is the first lesson always have a designated driver man always have a guy that's going to have your back kind of handle all the dirty work but most importantly be sober the entire time. Yeah, very good. Uh, all right, so you've got two, uh, four other fellas here on this uh, RV. Correct. Back in the day, uh, what role do they play? So they're more of just uh, one of them's the bachelor, and we're the guys that are going to help celebrate that. We're, as you can see in the picture, Joel is by the driver's side door, getting ready to enter the vehicle, and then the five of us are on top of the camper, um, probably a little inebriated out of our minds already. Uh, it was our job to have a great time, but this leads me to lesson number two on the road, especially in an RV. Someone always has to take turns sitting in the front to keep your to keep your smoke and Joel occupied. Obviously, if you're driving an RV, you're gonna hear the fun in the back. You know, there's music being played, there's games being played, but it's always cool to have at least someone sitting in front with the driver to kind of keep him company a little bit and keep him focused on the road. So that's my second tip. All right, uh, keep going. You're on a roll here. Okay. Uh, my third tip, I mentioned the beer a little bit. Assuming Gardner Minshew has a bathtub in his RV, which I assume he does. I saw that RV. Put the keg in the bathtub. Let's be honest. No one's going to take a bath when they're traveling across the country in an RV, especially a bunch of dudes, right? I mean, am I right? Would you take a bath in an RV? No, probably not, Brett. Let's, let's hope not. Exactly. So here's what you do. You take the keg, you put it in the tub, and then you fill the bags of ice around it uh, to keep it cold. Brent, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but science actually says that ice can turn into water. So that way, when the ice melts, it goes down the drain, and you save yourself a lot of hassle and a lot of mess that's the old college trick right there it that is, translates man. to the rv yeah absolutely um do you want are we, are we going tip to tip here so let's keep on oh, going yeah here? listen you're on a roll man i'm not even i'm just listening <laughs> okay all right drinking coffee and listening all right fair enough my next uh tip for garner Minshew is rv excursion under no circumstance should anybody go number two and i say that in the nicest way possible should anybody <laughs> go number two in the toilet save it for gas stations restaurants or if you have to pull over because it's an emergency then go run in the woods but under no circumstances should anybody drop a number two in the toilet trust me that's a probably should be narrowed number one forget yeah. about smoking joel <laughs> no, for i sure. might put that number one for sure for sure uh i got a few more here so um do not drink in the rv after midnight 
because nothing good's going to happen. I go back to the time that we took the RV up north, and we went to a liquor store, and we bought a, a bottle of Patron Black. Now, do you know what Patron Black is, Brent? Uh, I know what Patron is, but yeah. no, I haven't... Uh... Is, is it similar to a Johnny Walker Blue? Or Guess a... what? That's, what that's, a, that's exactly the interpretations that we were thinking. Because we saw the Patron Black high on the shelf, and we're like, well, dude, if it's like high on the shelf, like the top echelon you know, of the alcohol in the liquor store, this must be legit. What we didn't know, because once again, we kind of had a couple cocktails. We didn't really know. But what we found out was that Patron Black is actually Patron Coffee. So it's literally a coffee-infused shot. Now, you know me, Brent. I don't do coffee. And to be fair, a lot of my friends don't do coffee either. So we bought the Patron, and this is probably like at you know midnight to 1.30 in the morning. Keep in mind, we're in Wisconsin where liquor stores don't ever close. We get the Patron Black. We bring it back to the RV. We all take shots of it, celebrate. And after probably the third shot, because the first shot was like, ah, yeah, that's really bad. That's coffee. But, you know, we're still trying to party. Second shot, you know what? This shot's not getting better. Hopefully the third shot comes around and it'll be a little better than the second one. And it wasn't. We had three guys at the exact same time vomit in the RV. So that's why I say if you're going to drink after midnight, drink outside, have some chairs, something like that, build a bonfire, but do not drink in the RV after midnight because nothing good will happen. Yeah, that's a good – by the way, I want to expand on that a little bit. As a professional athlete, you didn't (laughs) seem to mind going to the the beach bars and really didn't have a sense of, you know – uh, of anything around you and what sure. the ramifications might be at, yeah. at your age. No. I feel like, isn't there some, like, Gardner Minshew knows everybody's kind of watching this. No, for <laughs> sure. Know? For like, sure. He's got- He's got to be a little bit careful, right? I mean, you you got to go have fun. Yeah. You, you got to you be a little wild and crazy when it's time to be wild and crazy. <laughs> but but you also got to stay out of the headlines here gonna, uh, on this I, RV trip, right? Brent, I'm going to be honest, man. You're absolutely right, especially at the quarterback position, right? It is it is the double standard? I've I've shared the Blake uh, Ga- the Blaine Gabbard story. Yeah, uh, that's what know, I was thinking of. Bars. I get that. <laughs> and to be fair, at the time, I was kind of like I'm the back nine of my career. I was on my last leg, getting ready to go play for the. Chicago Bears, right? So I figured, like, dude, I can't obviously mess up my shot here. This is maybe the last shot I'm ever going to have. So I'm going to kind of keep it low-key on this trip. I'm going to have fun, celebrate my friend, you know, getting married and everything like that, have a good bachelor party, but I'm going to keep it within reason. Well, I say that, but then we get to the bar up north, which happened to be, guess what? A Chicago Bears bar. What happens when I walk in? We all walk in. They recognize me. I don't know how they did it in in the middle of bum nowhere, but they, they recognize me, and they're like, oh, Austin, free drinks all night. And we're like, okay. Well, this bar was a, a small tavern, and it just so happened that they were understaffed because we were, you know, drinking everything. So they're like, all right, we'll make a deal with you. If you guys get behind the bar and start pouring drinks for people, you can drink all you want. So I kid you not, and I, and I actually I shared that video with you a long time ago where it was me behind the bar, Brent, with, with like the beer thing. You know, it was like the it was like a slurpy machine, but my mouth <laughs> underneath like the beer tapper. You know what I'm talking about? That video I said, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that night. So literally. I'm working behind the bar. I'm taking the tappers, putting my mouth all around them. Not appropriate, obviously. And, you know, just dumping beer in my gullet. And at the same time, I'm making Captain and Cokes in the corner. So it was a lot It was a lot going on. And obviously, probably not the most beneficial thing for me to represent myself in a professional manner. 
But that's what happens when we're with the boys. That's what happens when you're with, you know, you give people cell phones and things of that nature. So, yes. Hey, Coos, by the way, can you take that last two or three minutes? I think uh, Austin could use that when we're trying to get some endorsements and stuff. <laughs> so That'll Brent, really play well. Well, Brett, and that, that was actually my last uh, piece of advice to Garner Minshew, and you, you brought it up, where, yes, there will be cameras on you. There will be people around you, a lot more than a backup third strings number 73 defensive end from the Chicago Bears. You're the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. All eyes will be on you. So my last piece of advice to Garner Minshew, obviously, is just be cool. Have fun, man, but obviously be cool. You know, you know what's interesting? I was thinking this while you were talking and while I raised the question, too, of don't you have to be a little bit aware of your surroundings? Everybody's watching. I mean, he's just been this guy, you know, yeah. uh, ever go back to Washington State, but it, now it's translated to the NFL. And he actually is a guy, in reality, and, and I'm not uh, advising him to do this, but if he were to happen upon some small town in Texas on this RV trip <laughs> sure. and, and, and get in like a little bar fight, yeah, that would only add to the Minshew legend. Like it wouldn't even hurt him. It wouldn't yeah. hurt his, his, his identity. It wouldn't hurt uh, how people think about him. It would only add to it. Like, now he's got to be a little careful. There's, there's, there are some things you can do that, that would hurt it. Sure. But, like, I mean, y- you find out, like, hey, Minshew arrested for a bar fight somewhere <laughs> in the middle of Texas. Yeah. This place would go nuts. They'd be like, yeah, that's my guy. And, and, and listen, and listen, <laughs> if I'm Doug Marone, you know, and maybe like I'm I'm waking up in the morning, I have my cup of coffee or whatever you drink, and I'm turning on ESPN and all of a sudden it's Gardner Minshew involved in a little skirmish outside of a small bar in Texas. If I'm Doug Marone, my first thought is, but of course, but of course he got in a fight in a small bar in Texas. This is the same guy who tried to break his own hand with a hammer after drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels. What were you expecting? You know, color me shocked. So, yeah, I think if there's a little skirmish, that's fine. But once again, you got to be cool and you got to keep it within reason. Gardner Minshew doesn't want us around, but I do kind of. I wish he would call into the show or something. I want. I want to see where he's at. Like we need yeah. like a Minshew tracker. Oh, without but, a doubt, like man. Like the work on that. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, hey, you know when we hire new coaches around here and you track where Shotcon's jet is? Like, that's what I want on Minshew. We should have put a darn tracker on Brent's his RV. Gonna, but Brent's gonna have the action news. Jack's helicopter just following all across the entire country. <laughs> Forget that. That's priority number one right now. All right. Last part of this. Uh, where would you go? Seriously, if you headed west and you end up yeah. in California, right? Say yeah. you end up, uh, at what's like a popular beach in California? Orange County, the OC, right? Muscle Beach? Yeah, Muscle Beach, uh, like Orange County. Uh, I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know popular so, beach. Put me on the spot. <laughs> come on, man. You know, like, uh, you know, it's funny. Kaylee was asking me today, like, because we're going to go to California, I think, in April, at Ventura okay. Boulevard, right? Like, sure. is, is that near the beach? I don't even know. Like, I don't know California that well. Yeah. Um, I think Malibu. There's, there you go. Yeah, so he ends up Malibu, in Malibu. All right. Venice Beach is another great one. There you go. Venice yeah. Beach. So, so that's, where he fi- that's where he finishes up. That's sure. Fine. Like, that's kind of my vision of where he's going, somewhere <laughs> like that. But, like, we're in between. You know, do you, yeah. do you stop? Do you honk the horn through Brandon, Mississippi as you head to th- stroll through Texas a little bit? Do you go a little bit north through Oklahoma? Um uh, you know, where do you end up? Like, where do you go through? The Colorado? You going through Arizona? You see in the the um, the Grand Canyon? Yeah, you know, the, which, which way are you going? The, it's a fantastic point, you know, because if it was up to me, 
Because let's be honest, Brent. Like Jason Aldean had a song called "Fly Over States" for a reason, right? Like we're talking yeah, about baby. South Dakota, nice. Wyoming, Nebraska. Like there's not much to see there. But I think with Gardner Minshew's personality and also my personality a little bit too, those are the places where there's like the unkept gems, right? Like there's the, the diamonds in the rough. Like sure, you can maybe go through Texas, the small towns there. Go through New Mexico a little bit. Um, you know, through went through Arizona. But if it's me personally, man, I, I want to see the great country that God has to offer. I might be going through, like, Iowa, Nebraska, Wyoming, you know, maybe a little Colorado stop, things of that nature. But I think that that's the whole thing about it, right? It's You're not going through the big cities. You're not bragging, hey, I'm Gardner Minshew. Check me out. Let's get crazy in these big cities. No, man, you're going off the beaten path a little bit. You're going through those flyover states. So if you're talking about that, hit up every single small town, every single small town bar if you're into that type of scene, and just have fun with it. Two things we just learned. Jag season is officially over, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we are well past Jag season. And Gardner Minshew, if he's a really good quarterback for the Jags, he's going to be king of the world, man. Yeah. Because we just spent 25 minutes talking about his RV trip <laughs> here on a Tuesday <laughs> on Action Sports Jackson on ESPN 690. When we come back, we talk a little more football with Calais Campbell. That's next on ESPN 690. Check the Patriots. I mean, they're always the oldest team in the NFL. Always, you know. I mean, they, they, they go for experience and wisdom more than they do youth. But when you're a team like us, you, you, you're trying to build through a draft. You know, you're bringing in young guys who are talented. Uh, you know, you're going to go through some growing pains. I mean, we have guys out there this year that were, you know, first-year starters. Um, so, you know, some of them, you know, maybe second-year second starters, and they're still going through growing pains. And, you know, uh, you get to that point of trying to do too much. Well, that's Calais Campbell. Um, I put down an interview with Calais last week, and we're about to play a little bit more of that. I mean, we really had so many different topics we talked about. One of the words, wisdom, comes to mind. Calais Campbell certainly has that. Can the Jaguars get a little more of that? We were talking about it uh, against the Patriots, kind of like what they have and how they build their roster, and we mentioned that a bit last week. Austin Lane, as we welcome everybody back, uh, Brent Morton here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, West Adams Street. We're actually closing this one down today. Howdy, keeping it open. Now, in the breaks, I've been talking, I've been looking over to my, my left and talking to Howdy. And he's here, and, and he owns Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, Mandarin and Atlantic Beach. And here now, the newest one just opened on Friday, West Adams Street, downtown. Great location, and uh, happy to be doing the show here. And uh, really appreciate Howdy and, and Jumpin' Jack's House of Food support uh, for our one-year anniversary show coming up next Friday. You can register to win ESPN690.com. We're going to be back out on location. We'll give away some of these tickets to our live show next Friday from 2.30 until 6 p.m. as well. But the real reason Howdy is here is because he told me a couple of secrets about the great burgers here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. He wants to make sure I don't put it out there, Austin, <laughs> despite your efforts to pressure me about actually what's in the ingredients. Here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Brent, I mean, I, I hate repeating myself, man. I'm not threatening you, man, but I'm just going to say it's probably in your best benefit if eventually me and you have a little sit-down, whether it's on the show, off the air, or maybe it's at a, a restaurant, or maybe if it's even at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. We're going to have some kind of conversation, and you're going to tell me what I want to hear, okay? And that's yeah. how they make the burgers, because they're that good. Well, Howdy can't hear your threats, and he also doesn't know how tough and dangerous you can be. So he doesn't care about your threats right now. So i got to be careful. Um, but anyway, you got to try the burger. I tell you all the time about it. And uh, my little guy, Ty, I, I, he was jealous. I had to do – I think I would have brought him here today so he could have a couple of burgers. Mm-hmm. 
but I had a lunch earlier and we couldn't work it out. But uh, he's jealous that that I'm here and he's not uh, get a burger to go maybe uh, well, for Thai guy. And to be fair, like. My kind of, you know, like fascination with th- this place is the fact that they don't just do burgers, right? They're kind of like off the wall in terms of the type of food that they have to offer. Because, like, when they had their food in the office, I mean, it was everything. I think it was pizza, it was burgers, um, it was chicken sandwiches. They're all over the place. Yeah. Well, you're right. You have a good memory, Austin, about Thank when they, they dropped off food, and, and we did. We had a whole plethora of food. I'm looking at the menu right now. That's why I got up a little bit. It's like eight different kinds of burgers. Yeah. Um, and then you're right, pizza and, and everything else. And so even doing brunch now at some of the locations, breakfast here, open at 7 a.m. here at the West Adams downtown location, uh, just opened up a few days ago. Hey, uh, before we get to our Calais Campbell interview, uh, which we'll talk about, uh, some of the things that he says, and there are some poignant moments in the six or seven minutes that we're going to play here today. Uh, before we do that, let's hit the happy hour horn here on a Tuesday. Shot, tip your star tenders. I'm looking uh, forward to happy hour the next few days. I'll be up in Asheville, North Carolina. Stuart Weber uh, will be filling in the next couple of days, joining Austin Lane and Coos, and then Marcel Robinson on Friday. A uh, little getaway, not in an RV though. Uh, <laughs> not that bold, but um, a little getaway up to Asheville. First time I've ever been. You ever been up there? Uh, not been to Asheville, but from what I've heard, there's like a million craft breweries there. So uh, please be sure to check some of those out and report back to me of what the best ones are. I will do it. Cool. Uh, I certainly will. That's what I've heard, too. I asked a couple months ago when we were thinking about this trip, I was like, hey, where should I go in Asheville? And the amount of tweets I got in response was like, I'm only going for like four days. I can't hit all those places. <laughs> for sure. But we'll, we'll do our best uh, to try to do that. Hey, uh, we've been talking a lot about Calais Campbell and really listening to what he said. Yesterday was about Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, interesting thoughts. Uh, and uh, Kuz ended up putting that out. If you missed it, check out ESPN 690, Jack's Twitter account, also up there on Facebook, uh, ESPN 690 all over the place, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, you can see it and hear it. And it's just about a two-minute clip on Yannick Ngakwe and how he thinks it might be tough to keep Yannick. He's a strong-minded guy. He hopes the organization can, but the way this works, and he hoped that he would have gotten it done, uh, the Jags and, and Yannick Ngakwe, prior to the season, so it was already done. But that's the kind of insight Calais Campbell uh, gave me and, and now all of us last week when I sat down with him for about a half hour. Uh, we're going to continue to reveal some of this conversation uh, we have done it online, Action Sports Shacks, on ESPN 690 on the YouTube channel. Make sure you go subscribe there. But I want to talk about some of the things he says here, Austin. So this is more about him and his value to this franchise still, how much he has left in the tank. He's due a big chunk of money in 2020. Have we seen him play his last game? Should the Jaguars keep him? Will they restructure? There's a lot that could happen with big number 93 this offseason relative to Jacksonville and the rest of his career. 
Here's part of my conversation with Calais Campbell. This be a tough question to ask you, okay. and I don't mean it from a critical point of view, but you're an honest assessment guy. You're getting a little older. You just made a Pro Bowl. Are you losing anything? Do you feel like you're losing a step at all? Are you still the guy you were three years ago? I mean, there's a natural progression as as athletes get a little older. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I definitely am not as athletic as I used to be, you know, but it's been that way for a few years. I mean, you know, three years ago, I wasn't as athletic as I was when I was young. And, you know, I wish I had the same work ethic I have now when I was that athletic. Uh, but, hey, you know, it is what it is. And I was still a hard worker, but it's definitely I've elevated my game. Uh, just uh, my dedication to the, my craft, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, each year you kind of lose a little bit, you know, it's just the nature of the business. And, uh, you know, this year, like, you know, I mean, I've missed more tackles this year than I ever have in my life. I mean, like, it's not even close. I mean, I was around the ball a lot, you know, I, uh, you know, just still being able to slip blocks and get in the backfield and be disruptive, but I missed a lot of tackles. And part of me is trying to figure out why it is, you know, and, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I actually, uh, uh, you know, you look at all the you know, evaluation sites and stuff, and uh, I give pro, pro Football Focus a lot of love because they did call me out on missing tackles. And it's like, well, it's true. You know, I noticed it, so I'm glad they noticed it too. You know, but they still notice I'm still disruptive, though, which is nice. I appreciate it. They rank it you pretty high. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I am disruptive. I still am a, a, a game changer. You know, I, I can still make plays. Uh, but there definitely is going to come a time where I can't make the plays the same way as I do now. You know, and I have to be real with myself on that, you know. Um, but, you know, I feel like uh, it might be harder to rush the passer, you know, as I get older and stuff. Uh, but I feel like, you know, I'm going to have some, you know, wisdom and, you know, I understand, like, how to do things smarter. So I'll be able to, you know, still be productive for a few more years off of that. But I'm still a good athlete. I mean, lucky for me, I had really a lot of athleticism to start with so that I'm still a pretty good athlete. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't see other guys and be like, wow, they can do way more than I can do. You know, usually I, you know, somebody can do something, I'm like, I can do that too. You know, which is a good feeling, but um, I have to, you know, I, I see, you know, I, you know, Bruce Smith played 19 years. Reggie White, he, uh, he, he said when you're out, so he played 15. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Michael Strahan was a, you know, a 16-year guy. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of guys who played well for a long period of time. And uh, my mindset is, if they can do it, why can't I? You know, um, obviously they're the cream of the crop and they're the best of the best. And you know, I might not be, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, maybe on their level, but I hope to be close to it. And uh, you know, uh, you know, I mean, maybe I will be. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna give it my best shot. Uh, but I do feel like I can still play at a high level. You know, I mean. This game of football is a, is a fun game, and it'll tell you the truth, you know what I mean? When you play it, they'll let you know when you can't do it no more. And I remember uh, I watched uh, Warren Sapp say he retired because he knew it was pass. He saw a play, he said, you know, he knew it was a play action, and he, he saw he saw everything, he read it, and he just couldn't win. He was like, oh, you know, it was time. You know, that was 12 years for him. You know, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I try to put a lot of time and effort into my body and, and trying to give myself uh, as much as I have, uh, you know, I can have, you know, it's just, I need I, everything I have, I'm going to give myself uh, it all. But, um, you know, I, you know, as long as I play at a high level, I want to keep playing. You know everybody around here wants you to stay. I mean, we just talked about it. Why? But it's maybe $15 million around there. Do you expect them to come to you and say, hey, we, we want you, but can, you, can, we, can we do something about the $15 million? 
Well, um, so obviously, you know, there's going to be communication. That's just the way it is. Uh, there's communication in years past, you know, and uh, we weren't able to uh, come to an agreement. Um, and, uh, and that's okay, you know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, if, if there's communication, we can come to an agreement and we can find something that makes sense for, for both sides. Do I think I want $15 million still? You're damn right, you know. Uh, um, you know, uh, I, I think I'm, you know, I mean, you see these guys, you know, getting paid, you know, $20-plus million a year, you know, and, and they're incredible players, you know, but I feel like I'm, you know, just as good as most of these guys getting paid these ridiculous money. And, uh, but I'm not going to go ask for $20 million, you know. I, I, I don't mind being a 15-year guy, $15 million a year guy, and, you know, uh, I mean, really, the market to tell you how much you're worth, you know. Um, but you know, um, you know, I haven't put a lot. Of that. I do, I do research. I do study it. You know, I have an agent who, whose job is to make sure that I get the maximum value for my efforts and my production. You know, and he does a good job. You know, but I also pay attention to it myself. And uh, you know, and. You know, uh, I'm gonna do my research and you know figure out you know uh, production-wise what guys are getting. Uh, you know, but um, I, I feel like uh, you know uh, I mean I'm still playing real good ball. You know, I'm still at the top of my game. You know, obviously uh, I want to fix these, these missed tackles. You know, I, I can't. You know, uh, you know I mean I could have had you know a defense player of the year type of year if I just made my tackles. You know, I mean I'm you know probably missed tackle on the quarterback. You know, which. You know, you might not see with the naked eye because you know it was, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, so, it's so small. From you know, you have to really study the tape. But you know, I could have had you know, 14, 15 sacks. You know, I could have had another you know, 15, 20 tackles for loss. You know, I mean, that's, those are big numbers. You know, uh, you know, so I'm still playing at a high level. I just got, I, I you know, I, I told myself I got a plan on what I want to work on. You know, uh, last year I had, you know, I wanted to, you know, be able to. Uh, you know, I want to work on my sprinting and be able to uh, chase down screens and, you know, be able to, you know, run to the ball. You know, I feel like that was something where I struggled last year a little bit where I just kind of my, I felt my win wasn't as good. And so I worked on that and I was doing a lot better with that. But, uh, you know, now I feel like my core got suffered a little bit. So I want to get my core back right, you know, but it's just the, you know, reevaluating, you know, evaluating myself and figuring out what I need to work on for me to make a difference. And I think that if I keep my core strong, uh, in those settings where I was, you know, you know, uh, almost there, but I couldn't make that, you know, adjustment. You know, those core muscle strength can, you know, allow you to be more stable in that scenario where you can make that tackle. And so, you know, I got a plan. So hopefully uh, next year I can still be at, you know, uh, you know, that high level of, of, of. Well, there's Calais Campbell. A part of my conversation with Calais Campbell, we've been sprinkling that in over the last week, really. Uh, and Austin Lane, as we welcome you back, uh, Brent Morton, live at uh, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. I love the ability to be able to play a little video on our radio show. So if you're watching on the TV platforms, uh, the video platforms, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, uh, Twitch, of course, uh, if you watch there as well. By the way, the followers are adding up a little bit on Twitch. I noticed the other day, Austin Lane. Uh, but I, you got a chance. I would to not see know the because I've never been on Twitch in my entire life. But it's good to hear, though. <laughs> it's fantastic to hear. But I, um, if you did see the video, maybe this weekend, maybe you can you can see it again at Action Sports Jacks on the ESPN 690 YouTube channel, so you can subscribe to that as well. But if you just watched it and you see his face, man, when he says. You're damn right. I think I'm still worth 15 million, <laughs> and and I think that's important too because I almost feel bad a little bit the last couple of weeks 
you know, I understand the economics of this. This is a business. He understands that, too. But he did just make a third straight Pro Bowl. I feel like he's still playing at a high level. I, I know he had some games, and he I, I love his honest assessment of missing tackles. I mean, he was about as honest as you could be that he missed more tackles than he's ever missed. Yeah. But now he's going to go to work on that. He feels like it might have been part of his core. Uh, he's losing a little bit because he's getting a little older. That's what happens to everybody, but especially high-level athletes. But this guy's still a really good football player, and we know his value and importance not only in the city, but inside that building. I believe they will do all they can to keep Calais Campbell. I'm not convinced they'll be able to do everything, because I think there will be some other teams that will find him very valuable as well. Without a doubt, you know, and... Once again, I thought this conversation with Clayus Campbell that we shared, it was very telling. You know, this is my first time hearing that segment. And the question where you kind of, you know, persuaded him to answer was, you're getting kind of older. You know, like, does that cross your mind? And, and, and I'm here to tell you, Brent, and I, I can guarantee every guy in the NFL locker room, that's the question that they don't really want to come to terms with, right? Because at the end of the day, in the National Football League, usually a guy doesn't get to go on his own terms. Now, every once in a while, there's the once in the blue moon chance where a player has a successful career. They get to go out on top and say, you know what? I'm done. Usually it takes a head coach or a GM, a position coach, or somebody in the staff to go, you know what? You're getting a little too old. We're going a younger direction. We're going someplace else, man. Best of luck to you in your future endeavors. Do you know why? Because that happened to me, okay? So it happens to everybody, it seems like. And with Clayus Campbell, the way he answered that question, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was genuine. I thought it was transparent. I thought it was perfect. Yes, he understands that he is getting older. He had probably the most missed tackles that he's ever had in his career this season. But he understands that this game, especially from his position, Brent, being the pass rusher that he is, there is still a need. You know, the, the, there is still a premier need for that type of guy. Because at the end of the day, whether a defensive end, a defensive tackle, the first thing that teams will always look to, and a lot of fans will always look to, is the sacks. And in terms of can he still produce at a high level in terms of getting in the quarterback, I think he can. I don't get a lot of chances on the show to compare MMA or boxing to football, but this is one of those instances where I can compare them. If you look at boxers around the world, if you look at MMA fighters around the world, it seems like the heavyweights always last a little longer. The heavyweights always get to hang out a little longer than the lighter guys. Why is that? Because the power is the last thing to go in terms of fighting, just like in football. The speed is the very first thing to go, whether it's boxing or it's in football. And when you have a guy like Calais Campbell, who, yeah, he's got a pretty good first step, but he uses his tools so well, whether it's his hand placement, whether it's his rip move. He has so many tools at his disposal where, let's say he loses a step a little bit, which we've kind of saw this past season, especially trying to make tackles in the backfield. That's okay because he still has the hand movement and the hand violence to make him a successful pass rusher. There's some pass rushers in the NFL that rely solely on their speed. You know, I think Clay Matthews was a prime example in Green Bay where he was, he was a speed guy. Well, unfortunately, he kind of delved down a little bit. Now he kind of had a resurgence with the, with the Rams. But those stories are a dime a dozen. You know, there's the speed rushers and then there's the pass rushing technicians. And in my opinion, Clayus Campbell is definitely a pass rushing technician. Yeah, it's a good uh, comparison. I want to ask you one more comparison because you said it, it, you're right. Uh, players feel you know, we, we attach age to everything. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I might have said this last week about Calais, but to me it's no different like than 
baseball pitchers. Uh, you know, Roger Clemens was a great example of this at a time, and I understand take the take like the steroid stuff out of it. <laughs> sure. But you know, he was this flame throwing guy before people threw a hundred miles an hour, or not many did. You know, Nolan Ryan and him, and but he was a flamethrower. And as he lost some speed, he learned how to pitch. He used to just throw it, and then he learned how to pitch. To me, that's kind of how you equate athletes getting a bit older but still have it. Yeah. With and I I don't know if it directly translates to a pass rusher, but I think what Calais is basically saying is, listen, I'm still a tremendous athlete. I love the part where he says, I don't look across the field even at a young guy and say, I can't do that. Remember the video that came out last offseason when he schooled somebody in the ladder drill? Yeah. You remember that? Yep, absolutely. So, like, like, he is still a tremendous athlete, but I think he's also saying, hey, my smarts, my veteran experience, my savvy, the hand placement stuff you're talking about, all those things will allow me to be very productive and still elite in this game, even if I'm losing a little bit of my wiggle or yeah. my athleticism yeah. as I get a little bit older. And so I love how he kind of describes that, and I still think he's got a lot of productive football and very productive football. I'm hoping he has one more huge year, hopefully here, because I think if he has one more really big year, he has a real chance to get to Canton, Ohio, and I'm obviously rooting for that uh, with Calais Campbell. Yeah. Now, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No. Well, well, what I want to say with you about the, the, the age thing is you're kind of – I don't know when you get this way, but you're still – an athlete, man. I mean, you're still uh, sure. you're an MMA fighter. Yep. You're 31 years old. Two. Like, so yeah. 32. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, you yeah. just turned 32. Just turned 32, yeah. So you're 32 years old. So even those questions have to enter your mind at some point. Of course. Okay. How long do I keep trying this? How long do I keep doing this? How long can I stay at the top of my game? Can I commit to this? So it's just an athlete kind of thing that you have to ask yourself. Um, ironically, you, I don't. I don't know what the age is in MMA. I don't know if you can do this till you're 38 or 39. Yeah. But um, but those are the questions that athletes have to ask. And there was one other part of the Calais Campbell interview, and I don't even know if we just played it there or not. He says, "I have to be real with myself," mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to do because I think athletes can be in denial. Heck, I'm 42 years old, and you ask me to go hit a home run, I think I can do it, even though I can't. <laughs> you know, my yeah. shoulder hurts when I throw tie batting practice, uh, and I don't want to admit it. You know, but we all think we can, even though we can't. So you got to watch out for denial and be real with yourself. Well, and keep in mind too, Brent. Whether it's the animal kingdom, whether it's professional sports like football, baseball, fighting, whatever your sport, but especially in the animal kingdom, it's not the biggest animal, it's not the fastest animal, and sometimes not even the smartest animal that survives, that outlasts everybody. It's the animal that can adapt that will last the longest, right? And in terms of Calais Campbell, this is a guy who has that high IQ, who's at least looking upon himself and being like, you know what? I am maybe losing a step a little bit. How can I improve my game a little bit and go to my strengths? Not every NFL player can do that because there's ego involved. There's ego involved that says, you know what? I'm still the fastest guy off my get-off. I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. You can't do that because the guys that can adapt to their abilities are the guys that last the longest. And with Calais Campbell, I think He's a guy that can adapt for a long time. Now, don't get me wrong. Being six foot eight, three hundred something pounds doesn't hurt at all either. You know, I mean, I remember when I first met Calais at Puzz's retirement party, and you know, and Calais, the guy that he was, the, the, the enduring guy that he was, stood up and introduced himself to me. He said, "Hey, man, welcome back." And I'm looking up to him for like the first time I've ever looked up to a football player in a while, because usually I'm the tallest dude. And I just remember looking up to him, shaking his hand, which was obviously behemoth. Um, I say a couple words. I sit down, get ready to Telvin Smith to start a speech about Puzz. But I remember when Telvin Smith was talking about Puzz for his retirement party, I remember just thinking, 
this is stupid, man. How can a guy be that big and be that explosive and play defensive tackle? Like, I, I literally, that was my exact verbiage. I, I go, that's stupid. I'm like, 6'8", 300 pounds, that's absolutely stupid. I remember I said it to myself over and over again. A side note here, do you have a buddy from uh, North Dakota? Because we just got on Periscope a uh, hello from North Dakota. So hello, North Dakota. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a couple of buddies in North Dakota. That actually, they coach at North Dakota State in Fargo. So maybe it's some of those guys, perhaps? Yeah. Well, they didn't give you a shout-out or anything. So oh, okay. Somebody in North Dakota. Well, I don't know. Well, but, hey, uh, regardless, go Bison. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, let's let's be real about this, okay? And... Um, I try not to let the the biases. Uh, listen, Calais Campbell, in my opinion, in 20 years of covering and doing this job, right now he's the guy that I'll tell my grandkids about and sit on the porch when I'm 75 and say, "Hey, what was cool, Grandpa, about what you did?" Well, you know, getting to be around Calais Campbell, seeing how good of a football player he is, a giant of a man, what he's done for the community, and how genuine and authentic it all is. Is something I'll share, you know. Sure. So there's got to be a little bias in there. I mean, it, we get to spend uh, every week with them during the football season on our show the last three years, and it's hard not to let some bias creep in. But as you heard in the interview, I try to be very honest with them too and ask, "Hey, is this it? I mean, do you got stuff left in the tank?" Mm-hmm. What I think is important to, and even in me, I have to remind myself, he's not going anywhere yet. He's under contract. Sure. You know, he, he kind of told you they asked him to restructure or, or rework or do something even last year, and they couldn't come to an agreement on it. Uh, now they might have to go back and ask him again. It might be more real this time. He might have to even admit it this time. But facts being facts, he's under contract. So the first move that needs to be made is the team needs to either come to him and his agent and explore those options or say, hey, we don't, we, we're going to cut you. And yeah. that's what they have to do. The question is, man, I mean, you have to try everything in your power to keep this guy, don't you? This is what I've been preaching for the last two weeks. They don't have enough of these guys. And yeah. he's still productive. On, I'm not saying have a guy like this just to be there in the locker room and he's, he's, only, he's not going to play much and not be productive. No, no, this guy is coming off three straight Pro Bowls. His resume speaks for itself. He's still playing at a good level, high level. You can call it, whether it's a lead or not, all these things. He is still a productive football player. They need to keep people like this in Jacksonville. Their mistake has been getting rid of veterans too soon, not keeping enough veterans around. I think that has been a huge mistake in building this roster in the Dave Caldwell era. They have to be very, very careful on how they handle this situation, much like they have to be very careful how they handle the Yon situation, even though that's a different animal in itself. Absolutely, Brent. It is a different animal, but it is the same beast, if you will, because at the end of the day, you're paying both these players and Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell not only for their stuff on the field, but also what they bring to the team off the field as well. And if we're breaking down Calais Campbell, yeah, he, he, he's a pro bowler. Fair enough. So from that perspective, if you're Calais Campbell right now, you point to that Pro Bowl thing and be like, hey, I went to the Pro Bowl again. Uh, you might as well keep me around. But you're also paying for the leadership, right? Josh Allen has said how many times how much Calais Campbell has helped him develop, not only on the field, but off the field as well. And he may not be the most you know, vocal guy. I think he's vocal when he has to be. But you don't need that from Calais Campbell. What you need from Calais Campbell is for him to be a model citizen, which he is. You need him to be a pillar in that locker room, which he is. And you need him to be a leader, which he is. You don't need him to be, you know, give these rah-rah speeches. What you need Calais Campbell to do is lead the, you know, lead the 
get offline, I guess, in individuals. You need Clay yeah. Campbell to lead the, 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 the drills in individuals, just like you need Avery Jones to lead some of those drills and Yannick Ngakwe to lead some of those drills. Because if you start cutting too many of those pillars from the team, well, all you have left is a bunch of young guys, and we've seen how that's happened before with Gus Bradley. It didn't work out too well, and it hasn't worked out for a lot of teams in the NFL. So from my perspective, yes, you're paying Clayus Campbell for his services, for his ability to get after the quarterback still, but you're also paying him for what he brings off the field just as much. All right, one more question about this, and then we'll move on to a different topic uh, right after this. But I want one more thought on Clayus Campbell. I'm going to ask you a question. Think about it during the break. $15 million Clayus Campbell. 13 million AJ Boye. If you could keep one, which one are you keeping? Next on ESPN 690. I'm a fan of uh, of wisdom. I think that uh, experience is uh, is uh, a, a great uh, tool to be successful, especially with having young talented players having that experience that can educate them faster, help them come up, move along a little faster uh, is, is crucial. I think in 2017 with the Puzzes and uh, Mercedes Lewis, you had a lot more guys who were, had the experience and were respected, so people you know, valued their opinion. You know, that, that was huge. Well, that's Calais Campbell talking about the mix of youth and veteran players, and we kind of left the last segment talking about okay, how much do you need to bring Calais Campbell and guys like that back? And then I pose the question, A.J. Boye or Calais Campbell in 2020, if you had to make a choice? You're talking about, I think, around $13 million and $15 million, 13 for A.J., 15 for Calais Campbell. If you had to pick, and sometimes you do, yeah. Uh, now they could create a lot of space if they, if they cut both, but... If I give you one, what are you doing? Man, you really put me on the spot here because you can make a case for both guys, Brent. I guess I'm going to be stubborn in my ways and um, kind of be a, a homer here and go for the defensive line because I understand how important the defensive line is. Not to say the cornerback position isn't important, but I just think from an ability, um, from a leadership role, not so once again, not saying AJ Boy isn't a great leader, but I just think the defensive line, you know, I mean, being 6'8 kind of helps you stand out in front of everybody as well. I'm probably going to take Calais Campbell, especially since he's coming off another Pro Bowl type of year. Yeah, and here's the deal, man. I don't know this, and I'm interested to get your thought because I've been talking to some people about the AJ Boy. Here's what I started to hear in the middle of the season. I was like, I don't know. You get rid of Jalen. I feel like AJ's playing pretty well. He's still like what, 27, 28 years old. Sure. I mean, he's he's still a young player, kind of coming into his own. Uh, I, I think he's a good player. Then there are some folks, and again, I'm going to loosely frame this here. Some and everybody's got an opinion, you know. Sure. Uh, some folks, when things were going bad, it's like, well, you know, he's he's playing good, but he's not probably a 13 million dollar guy, and, and playing that way. I'm like, okay, well. That makes some sense to me. Then as you got a little deeper into the season and talked to some other folks, and some of this is media too, but again, just doing a little bit of work on it, it's like, oh yeah, he's not playing well at all. Like, pretty average. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a goner, no doubt, in AJ. And I'm like, wow, I, I did not see that, Austin. Like, I, I, it didn't jump out to me that AJ Boye was not playing well. Like, I don't have that take. I actually thought he had a pretty nice season. I mean, I go back to his DeAndre Hopkins coverage in London. I, I thought... That was the day. You know, that was the day. Can you do this? Well, he did it. I thought he was really good in that game. And I never really saw – now, listen, there were times that people didn't have to throw it against the Jags, so maybe we didn't see the true test for A.J. because they were running for 200 yards. Mm. But 
It never jumped out to me like A.J. Boye was a problem for the Jags on defense. Now, again, if you want to tell me that he's not a $13 million corner, okay, that's probably fair. But I did not get the sense this year that he played poorly, although some people will say he, he, he wasn't that great. I'm going to be honest, you know, and when you use the word liability, I don't use that word uh, lightly. And there was a lot of liability issues this past season on the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially on that defense. And in terms of liability issues, to me, A.J. Boye never really fit that mold. You know, I thought he had some pretty good games, especially for what they had to ask him to do. Keep in mind, he was the number two corner, right? And that requires a kind of a different mindset than being that, you know, that one corner like Jalen Ramsey was. All of a sudden, Jalen Ramsey leaves, and then, you know, essentially A.J. Boy is thrust into that role of covering the best receiver nine times out of ten. And for the most part, I thought he did a pretty damn good job of doing it. You know, I mean, he, he made some plays. Um, the one I, I'm reminded of is obviously, I think it was when he was on Rob, Robbie Anderson for the New York Jets, and obviously A.J. Boye read the play, ran literally Robbie Anderson's route, made the interception. So I think if you have a guy like A.J. Boye, who not only, I thought did pretty well on the field, honestly, was the best corner that the Jaguars had when Jalen Ramsey left. If you have a guy like that, you have a guy that's such a workhorse in, you know, in the film room, um, is a very another high IQ player, like I talk about with Calais Campbell. To me, why wouldn't you want that guy around, though, just to kind of teach the young crop of guys coming up? Because let's be honest here. You have a lot of draft capital. Jalen Ramsey's gone. Regardless of who comes in, they're probably going to be on the younger side unless you go in free agency, which they probably won't do at the corner position. So the next crop of guys coming in, well, someone's got to lead them. And I think an AJ, AJ Boyd would be the, the perfect guy to lead those dudes. Now, once again, is, is the price tag warrant that kind of you know ability? One could argue that. Maybe you can kind of restructure a little bit and bring that price down a little bit. But if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, yes, I'm keeping Clayus Campbell, obviously, but I'm also trying to fight like hell for AJ Boye. Well, it's interesting. Like, uh, if you give me the two op- the options that I gave everybody right there, do you keep Calais or or AJ, and you can only keep one? I think like uh, ju- I jump at it and be like, oh yeah, I'm keeping Calais, I, I, no doubt. Yeah. And again, I've already told you my biases, but I also think you know he still has a lot left. He's a three time Pro Bowler. He's lived up to it. He's more of a splash player. I feel like he makes more of a difference in a game. All those kind of things. And he's mentoring younger players like Josh Allen, Yannick Ngakwe. Now is kind of getting out of that younger stage mm-hmm. and almost becoming a veteran. But he's he's mentoring those. Guys Guys, he's impacting your locker room, your defense, your meeting rooms, all those things on the field and off the field. But I think you could maybe make the argument for A.J. Boye's doing the same. Look how young they are in that secondary right now with Jared Wilson and Ronnie Harrison and uh, Trey Herndon. If they want to stick with some of those guys back there, they are extremely young in the secondary. And by the way, I think of A.J. Boye as kind of like this veteran guy. I just told you I think he's 27, 28 years old. He has more years to play. Sure. So would that be the reason to keep a guy like A.J., where you think he's just getting into his prime or still has two, three, four years left that are going to be really, really good and that might outlast keeping around a guy like Calais Campbell? It'd be well, fascinating uh, how they look at it inside that building when it comes to those two players in particular. And I know what – listen, the easy answer is, yeah, restructure, get them down to $8 million and we want to keep both. Of but course. You're not always, that, that's easy. That, that's easier said than done. Because I think that's a hard thing to do. Exactly. And you mentioned it, Brent. 
if they if they go with the youth route at the you know in the secondary position, especially at the cornerback spot, well, guess what? You're probably going to have to go the youth route, right? Like Trey Herndon, more than likely will be coming back. Um, you will probably draft the guy uh, to come and probably play right away at, at the cornerback position. Sure, you can maybe get somebody in free agency, but you know what? The salary cap's been put in place for a reason. How much equity do you have right now to go out and spend on a shutdown corner? Probably not a lot. If other guys got to be signed still, talking about Yannick Ngakwe. So yes, once again. The price has to be right, obviously, to keep AJ Boye, but you got to keep some somebody around. Well, once again, another pillar in that defense. You have to keep them around to show the young guys how to do things the right way because there's nothing more detrimental, especially at the cornerback position, also the defensive end position, when you don't have a guy to learn from, right? When you don't have a guy to kind of show you the way a little bit. One could argue that that can happen in any position, but especially the corner position where it's all about confidence. It's all about how you prepare. It's all about being on that island and saying, you know what, I'm going to shut this wide receiver down. That's where your, your, your film work comes into play. That's where your technique comes into play. And I think AJ Boye can kind of share some of those little, you know, nuggets, I guess, of knowledge and information to the younger crop of guys that are coming up. Brent Martino, Austin Lane, uh, we're going to wrap up the show with this thought. And you asked me this yesterday. We haven't got to it yet, man. Uh, but I do want to get to it here in the final 10 minutes. How much do you have to think about if you're Caldwell, Shad Khan, Doug Marone, anybody making decisions in that building? All in on 2020 versus, let's, I don't want to use the future because the future is so like infinity and beyond. It, it, I want three, let's just say the next three years. Yeah. And it's not a rebuild. We don't think it's a rebuild in Jacksonville, but it could be a reset of sorts. And that doesn't really bode well to be like, hey, we think we can, we can win it all uh, coming up in, uh, in 2020. So how much do you have to think about those things going forward? Uh, is is something that will be really interesting uh, for this football team. What do you think? How much do you weigh 2020 versus the next three years? Sure, it's a great question. And the fact that this is not a rebuild, right, Brent? You said it yourself. Because if this were, in fact, a rebuild, that's the number one excuse you can use going forward of having a, you know, a pretty um, – mediocre season right you hear all the time where the first year when those first year coaches come in we're rebuilding we're rebuilding you you guys went six and ten well yeah but we're we're in the middle of a rebuild right now it'll get better doug marone dave caldwell and that coaching staff they do not have that card to pull right now they do not have that luxury so from that perspective i'm if i'm doug marone if i'm dave caldwell if i'm a member of that coaching staff I'm all in right now. We have to win this season. Yeah, planning for the future would be great, but you know what? We don't have that luxury anymore, right? Because, in my opinion, we were granted a lifeline. Like, we're in the middle of the ocean. We were going down. We were sinking. We went 6-10. and 10. We lost five in a row when we were trying to fight for a division. We really showed no signs of surviving. We were going down with the ship. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes a lifeline in the terms of Gardner Minshew and Shad Khan and said, you know what? Let's give you guys one more chance. We're here to save you. What can you do for us? So now we go forward. You don't have the future to plan for, man. You have 2020, and that's it, in my opinion. And if that's the case, if I'm Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, you got to plan for right now. Don't worry about the future, because that's the thing, Brent. If you plan right now and you put the pieces in place to be successful in 2020, 2020, well, guess what? That's going to gradually, gradually build and build to the future as well. Yeah, by the way, sorry if I lost the video there for a moment, Coos. Don't worry about it. I got it back. This dummy over here forgot to plug uh, the, the little machine in, so it ran out of battery, but I got it. Um, anyway, that's a little sidebar. Hey, you know, here's the thing, man. They have so much to think about. 
when it comes to down the road versus this year. And it's a delicate balance. And I do disagree with you here. Um, I don't think they can just say, hey, every move we make is about 2020. I don't think they can do that. That's a little bit reckless. That could be careless. And I give the organization credit. We said this yesterday. The Jalen Ramsey trade, whether you like it or not, has set up the future down the road. And in fairness to these guys, that didn't necessarily – they had no guarantee they would be back in 2020. So when it all went, you know what, I, I think you got to give Caldwell, the front office, everybody else, uh, Tom Coughlin, if he was involved in these the, the trade part, at least they were looking out for the franchise to say, hey, we're not just giving this guy away to get rid of him. We are waiting and waiting, and it took three weeks, but we are getting what we think we can get. And they got about as much as you could get for a player, especially a cornerback. So those are the kind of decisions that you have to think about in their shoes and say, all right, we, first of all, we want to do well in 2020 because we want to be here. Correct. And not only that, if we do well in 2020, we might be here down the road. So we also want to set ourselves up down the road to be successful for three, four, five years. So there is still this kind of selfish nature involved in it. It's not just, oh, do what's best for the organization um, that I find uh, pretty interesting as we as we kind of look at this offseason for the Jags. But, I mean, we brought it up yesterday, man. Even how do you treat the Tua situation? Like, where are you at in your in your honest evaluations of – Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles, and Josh Dobbs, the quarterbacks are on this roster that are heavily invested in with either draft picks or dollars. But if a guy like Tua falls and you really like him and you evaluate him to be a really good quarterback, a really good pro, I mean, what do you do in that spot where you really have no room on the roster in 2020 right now for him? Yeah. But it's the right decision to make going forward for the franchise. I mean, that's the, that's the – probably the one that sticks out most to me but i think this calais campbell and is he back and aj boye and how you do deal with this yan situation all these moves not only impact 2020 but they could impact 21 22 and 23 down the road no without a doubt and Tua is a big question and i was pretty adamant how i felt about it yesterday where if i'm dave caldwell and i'm pulling the trigger i i'm not taking Tua. i I don't care what the grades say. I don't care what the experts say. Don't care what the analytics say. I think Garner Minshew has earned his right to go forward as the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's a risk that you're willing to take, just like bringing another rookie quarterback in would be a risk that you're willing to take with Tua. And if I'm looking at Tua, can I ask yourself, if I bring Tua in on day one, because I spend that much draft capital to get him, well, if if I'm looking at the door right now and saying, if I don't win this season, I'm out, he has to play right away. So then the question is, can Tua win you over eight games? Can Tua win you a division as a rookie? The history, the analytics would say no. So then no, if I can't win right now with Tua, then I'm not thinking about the future because, once again, my job is on the line. So, unfortunately, Tua is not going to come to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm drafting maybe an offensive line, a wide receiver, a tight end, someone to help out Gardner Minshew and make him the guy going forward. Yeah. Um, what other moves do you think would be – impactful down the road or this year are are there other ones that we're missing that could be like okay if you don't take care of this this will hurt you down the road or hey go spend right here go do this right now go trade up and get picks go whatever it might be sure uh i mean the fournette one they're kind of in the situation like i guess you know some people might view the fournette if you pick up the fifth year option as as uh 
they might view it in different ways. So that one could impact the future. Uh, if he got hurt, it, it could strap you for eight or nine or ten million dollars. So, but outside of that, I, I'm thinking that the quarterback in the draft, uh, where, what you do with those draft picks, either trade up or trade back, mm-hmm. and then like the Calais, AJ Boye, Yannick Ngakwe situations, I feel like those are the ones that are heavy on 2020, but also could impact down the road, unless I'm missing something. I mean, could you argue Norwell, or is he pretty much locked into his well, the problem contract with Norwell, and you know, you're going to keep him? Yeah, the problem with Norwell, here's the thing, with Norwell, I, I think a lot of people obviously didn't like the way Norwell played, but I think if you would measure him against what's out there and as a guard or what you might draft or everything else, I think most coaches would say, hey, this guy's a better player. I'll take Norwell. Sure. If you just take the money out of it and how much he got paid. The other part of it is, is it doesn't make a lot of sense to get Norwell, or get rid of Norwell, not only for that reason I just gave you from a Doug Marone and this coaching staff standpoint, but also because I think it comes with $9 million of dead money. So you continue to grow your dead cap, mm-hmm. you know, which, how harmful that is, that's debatable. But I still would rather not. Uh, yeah. If I'm going to use, if I'm going to get rid of a guy and he's going to hurt me in my, the dead cap money, probably want to do it on a little bit cheaper than that, especially coming off the Blake Bortles deal that really hurt you in 2019. So then honestly, like the, the biggest questions then, like I think you pretty much tapped them into them all. I think the other question that you can kind of get around to is if Todd Wash does, does indeed stay and is your defensive coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars, do they change things up a little bit? Does he get set in his ways and run the same defense that kind of struggled last year a little bit with Miles Jack at inside linebacker? Or do you adapt? Do you try something new and show, you know what, I'm willing to change a little little bit here's what we're going to do going forward yeah um it'll be a, a fascinating thing uh to see how the jaguars maneuver and what they can, can they salvage can they salvage in a way themselves uh in in this year 2020 uh and can they fix it quick enough right i mean that that's, the nfl's built for that and we, we asked the question last week i think it was are they closer to two and 14 or 10 and six well if I want to be snarky about it, I'd say, well, the Jaguars have shown us that two and fourteen is a heck of a lot more attainable than ten and six. Correct. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if, if we're going with the trends here, well, then I think we we need to acknowledge that. But in reality, is that true? If you've got a quarterback that you might like, and you got a Fournette, and you have DJ Chark, and you have Allen, and you have Ngakwe, and you have Joan Taylor, if you put you know eight or nine draft picks and free agents and and those kind of things around. That uh, I, that doesn't sound like a two and fourteen team to me. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Brent. But what I have to go off of is we don't have an identity yet for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, we yeah. really don't. We don't have an identity on defense and their offense, but they showed some glimpses. But it's not established either. So if you mean to tell me what do I think is going to happen more, uh, a ten and six team or a two and fourteen team, the first question I ask you is what's the team's identity? If you can't honestly wholeheartedly tell me what the team's identity is, I have to lean towards the 2-14, and 14, unfortunately. Um, if you can tell me here's what they do well, here's where they are going forward, maybe I'll come around to the 10-6 and six record. But until they establish uh, the culture, until they establish the identity, it's hard for me to come with you on the 10-6 and six bandwagon.
Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And yeah. listen, I'm not sitting here pumping that either. No, I'm for not sure. Saying, oh, yeah, 10 and 6. But I think that's the question you have to ask yourself. Shad Khan inside the building, on that coaching staff, in the locker room, all those things. And we can ask that question out here, too. And I think we'll get a better answer. We'll have a better feeling for it maybe around April once free agency and the draft is done. Hey, I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Brian and CGC Water uh, for jumping on board in 2020 with Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. A really kind of a, a fun story for me. Brian's an awesome guy. A couple years ago, we needed a water system at our home. We got a Connecticut system. It's been great. Great for the coffee. Great for the showers. The dishwasher. The water in general has been awesome. So uh, we appreciate their support in 2020. Good to have them on board uh, as we enter the new year. And if you're looking for a water system at your home, uh, trust me, uh, we love our Connecticut system from CGC Water. 904-694-2424 is the number. Financing options are available with approved credit. Just call 694-2424 or visit cgcwater.com. All right, man, I'm out the rest of the week. You take it from here. I'll be sure to do that. Brent, you have a safe trip, safe travels. Enjoy uh, North Carolina. Have some craft beer for everybody, and we'll talk to you soon, man. I'm going to try this trip like Minshew style in an RV, just without the RV. Let's be real. You're going to try to stalk Minshew, right? That's why he's disappearing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is is all a ploy. Let's be honest here. No, I didn't. I'm not in love with Gardner Minshew like that. I don't want to. I don't want you to start that narrative. I'm not going to chase him down in his RV. I'm not stalking. Coming from the guy who's been in his bedroom, but okay, sounds good. Oh my god. Hey, a big thanks, by the way, to uh, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food for having us out. Check out the new location, West Adams Street, right downtown. And, of course, uh, locations in Atlantic Beach and Mandarin, as well on San Jose Boulevard. Big sponsor for our ESPN 691-year anniversary show comes up next Friday. You can be a part of it, ESPN690.com. We'll have some food from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food as well. So thanks to Howdy and everyone else. And we'll be out at one of the locations next week, and we'll give away some of these tickets to our one-year party. So we hope you can come out and find us next week. For Austin Lane and Coos, I'm Brent Martin. I'll see you on TV in just a bit. CBS 47 and Fox 30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.